Buck Show. It's uncut, it's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck Show starts in three, two, one. Oh, man. I love that music. I really do. It gets me every time. I get a little excited. Hey, gang. Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Hope you guys are doing well. Fresh off another absolutely incredible weekend for the sport of drag racing. And we're going to cover as much of it as we possibly can right here on the West Buck Show. We've got a ton of special guests today. We're going to be joined in just a few minutes by arguably the best to ever do it the one the only tony schumacher fresh off a huge win at the conclusion of the nhra western swing out in seattle washington we're also going to hear from troy coughlin jr this was a big one i have to wonder and one of the first things i'm going to ask him did you think that this was going to elude you forever like was this did you ever think it was going to happen i'm sure he did but tj broke through for his first ever nhra pro stock win this past weekend also in seattle which i think was a Really substantial happening when you think about the legacy and the legend that is the Coughlin family uh, and what they've done in drag racing and what they've done specifically in NHRA Pro Stock. It cannot really be overstated. And to see TJ fall in and, and add a, one of his own Pro Stock Wallies to that huge collection in Ohio is a, was a pretty incredible thing. We're also going to hear from Tony Gillig, uh, fresh off. Uh, I think I've said fresh off three times, so that could be the new drinking game. Anyways, Tony Gillig just spent the weekend out at Virginia Motorsports Park during the PDRA special in-season kind of uh, celebration of their stars and cars, the Pro Stars event, which by all accounts was a monumental success. So I'm excited to hear about that. He's also going to share with us a little bit of the insight um, inner workings, if you will, of the Mountain Motor Pro Stock Exhibition Series that has been contested as part of the NHRA for the last couple of seasons. Um, what else is going on? We're gonna—I mean, the IHRA was sold apparently over the course of the last few days. We've got to talk about that. I think that's huge news—a very, very significant happening. I think I've got a fairly hot take on this. I think it's actually scalding hot, so that's exciting. I love a hot take, right? I hope you all do, too. Before we get any further along, we've got two uh, important things to do. First and foremost, what's up, Mike Carpenter? What's welcome, up, man? Wel welcome back, man. I hope your take on iTrade is not too hot, or it's not too much like mine. We didn't, we didn't rehearse this. We didn't it's, it's hot. Like, like I said, scalding. The water is boiling, brother. And it's, I mean, it's all good, but I just, I really do have uh, some fairly strong opinions on some of these moves and, and how they will ultimately unfold and, and the impact that they will have. Uh, we, we all hold some of these sanctions in very, I mean, obviously we hold yeah, the NHRA. The memories, the memories yeah. run deep. The memories run deep and we all, it's easy to get nostalgic about this stuff and think about how it used to be and the, what's Brett Kepner call it? A glory day-itis, mm -hmm. right? We're all like, oh, it used to be so much better, blah, 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 back when we didn't have air conditioning in our trailers and, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, it is funny, but I do, I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about it, but real quick, Mike, do you want to roll the, should we roll? Yeah, the, let's this do is it. a new project. If for those that don't know or haven't been following along, we've rolled out a new piece of content here at Drag Illustrated that we're quite proud of. One of the things when I look around the industry, a couple things, quick points. There needs to be 
a more content. I mean, just, and we're trying, we're doing our level best here at drag illustrated to keep the conversation going through the week. As you've all heard me say a billion times, it's easy to be excited on Friday with qualifying on the horizon. It's really excited to be on Saturday and Sunday when you're in the throes of the race weekend. But historically, it's gotten a little quiet through the week. It's that Monday through Thursday that we really need to ramp up to keep people interested, to keep people engaged in the sport of drag racing. And one of our answers to that was a short bit of quick hitting content called Drag Illustrated's The 330. It's a three minute and 30 second video that in our opinion, kind of encapsulates everything that's cool or newsworthy or noteworthy that took place over the weekend. So let's roll that video, uh, talk about it briefly, and we'll dive right into our conversation with Tony Schumacher. Here we go, boys and girls. Oh, I have to hit play? I got to get a producer in here. I'm just kidding.
what a shot there, right? Of um, the wheel stander there at the end. That's yeah, pretty gotta solid. Love a wheel you got to love a wheel stander. That's you almost forget. School. It's been a hot minute since I've even seen a wheel stander. What, what a great honest. video, though. Shout out to Blake Fontenelle, new video producer here at DI. And we've got him just working 24-7 on awesome videos <laughs> like that. So. I tell you, man, um, I'm proud of this stuff. I Dare I uh, get up on my soapbox uh, for a moment? Oh. Let we me run this deal, brother. Like, I just don't see anybody time. else doing it. Like, I just, I, I thought about this overnight and I got a really nice uh, text message uh, from Nicole Erickson this morning um, just saying, hey, man, the Drag Illustrated Social is killing it. It's like, thank you, A, but someone's got to do it. Like, I thought about this last night. It's a tremendous amount of work. Like, we could literally hire three or four more people probably and keep them all busy. But I, I started to ask myself, do we want drag racing to be treated like a real sport? Do we want to be mentioned in the same breath as Formula One and NASCAR and all these other things? We have to act it. Like, I mean, at it's, some it's point, tough, man. It, it's, somebody it's has to, to somebody's got to step up and say, hey, we're going to keep a light shined on these people 24 uh, 7. We're going to stick cameras in their faces. We're going to track their stats. We're going to do the things that are required. And maybe it's a, Maybe one of these days I'll just fall over dead from exhaustion and nothing will have happened. I <laughs> yeah, don't know. We're worried but, about that. But yeah, man, it's it's tough to get all this content aggregated and get stuff like that together. But as I think technology progresses, NHRA is sending out uh, yes. these clips, doing a ton of stuff on their end to help facilitate this by any media companies that want to be involved. And so I think that as sort of the landscape changes, um, that this, you know, is something that is more sustainable and feasible, but, uh, but we have then, to, until then the we're part. just going to keep cranking. Yeah, we're going to keep cranking stuff. it out, man. And I just think that it's that whole age old thing, uh, act as if, yeah. right. I mean, I want to act as if drag racing is the center of the universe. Like, and I think that we all have to do that. And we, I look around the sport and people are so quick to, uh, we need to be as excited about the good things that are happening and the exciting stuff that's happening as we are pissed off about the the negative things that happen. Like we have to, I know that I'm asking to change human nature. I'm asking to change culture as a whole. But man, if we could be as excited and wound up and fired up about the good things that are happening, the exciting things that are happening in our sport as we are. I mean, I think about the news and this will be a great segue into introducing our first guest, Tony Schumacher, uh, the, perhaps arguably the best to ever do it. Well, but, as we bring him before in Before we here, do that, okay, go ahead. I, I want to jump in and say I was watching that video and then I was thinking back to last week. And I don't think I know. anybody had it scripted to where no. we had Don on last week talking about selling the team and, and doing the exclusive interview. And then we were going to have Tony on this week talking about his first win since 2020 win. and the first race out under new team ownership. So you can't, you can't write a better script. You can't. And I got to give kudos to the NHRA because I said this during our team meeting earlier in the week that I was proud and genuinely excited to see the NHRA give Joe Maynard um, the, the kind of hero's welcome that he received in, in Seattle because I thought, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps and excited. Like these guys need celebrated. When you see someone come in and say, Hey, I'm willing to stroke a check. I want to throw my hat in the ring. I want to be part of this. Passion, we have to ask with the same, we have to, we have to react to that with the same reverence and the same like level of enthusiasm and passion as everybody did when the the thought that Don Schumacher was getting out of drag racing, right? If you compare mm -hmm. and contrast like the internet reactions, you got 50 million people freaking out that Don Schumacher's bailing on the sport. But then 
you know, by and large, like where's all the celebration and, and, and freaking out about we've got a brand new team owner putting a guy yeah. like Tony Schumacher behind the wheel, keeping him in the sport. I mean, I was, gen- I don't know how Tony felt about it. We'll find out, but I was genuinely pissed off to see him on the sidelines. We can't have yeah. Tony Schumacher. I was thinking about that as well. He's for a while. He, he was one, probably the face or one of the faces, especially with the army sponsorship of NHRA. I mean, when you, when you saw that army car and you saw the Sarge, you know, that that was in HRA and to have a guy like him on the sidelines. And you actually we saw some of his experience and veteran savvy on Sunday in eliminations, especially the round that stuck out to me was the one against Justin Ashley. Both cars get into a pedal fest uh, holes out. Justin Ashley, phenomenal young driver. Um, but Tony's savvy and being able to get back in that thing and keep it under control i mean pointed like laser straight as this thing is just blowing the tires off over and over while justin ashley is over there doing a like a road course <laughs> type which thing, i thought was pretty dope to too, be honest which i did too and yeah. and it shows how hard he was fighting to for that win but uh they they made comments about that during the broadcast and, and i really think that that's something that We've missed. We missed him. Don't you think he also knows how to be a hero on camera? I was going to say, I God bless the driving ability, but the media experience and just knowing how to be the hero, knowing how to 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 behave and to carry himself, and he's got the look of a race car driver. It's very important, and I just want to. We'll kind of book in this tip of the cap to the NHRA. They kept sticking a camera in Joe Maynard's face, and people don't realize. This guy's here. He's not necessarily trying to sell more widgets. He's not trying to drive brand value or whatever for his his company. He's out here supporting the sport of drag racing. He, I'm sure they will turn that into a successful cash flow positive business, or at least that's the goal. And it's just great that the NHRA really poured it on because he needs to see his name in lights. He needs to get treated like... It's the same way uh, down here in Texas, and this is Jerry Jones. This guy, the owner of the Cowboys, he's treated like a Christ-like figure down here, right? I mean, he is treated with significant reverence. You know, people celebrate this dude. They also hate on him, which is, you know, par for the course. But we need to treat our drag racing owners much the same way. Celebrate them. Make sure that their face is known and their name is known. And just have that be part of the conversation because it also generates storylines, right? For us here in the media. So, hey, let me quit rambling and introduce the man of the hour. We're six minutes behind schedule, so I apologize. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Tony Schumacher. What's up, Tony? (laughs) What's up, dude? Am I out dark? Yeah, you're you're a little dark. You're all right. You're right. We have to get it. Do you have a mag light or anything like that? You're (laughs) something. No, you look good, man. Don't you worry about it. Hey, man, congratulations, dude. I'm going to put him in the middle. How about that? I'm going to put him there. I'm going to slide him over there and get my logo over your head. There's yeah. plenty of Co- real estate Co- there on that forehead of yours. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, I could just get a tattoo up there. And we don't <laughs> have to do that. We, we could just knock out the logo. Yeah. Tony, congratulations, man. I got to ask. Um, this whole moment, being back full time on the tour after everything that's gone on the last few years, you've gone through a multitude of changes. And w- did you ever wonder if this would happen again, if you'd be in a situation to go out and compete for a championship, run at the front, hold that trophy on the top end? Yeah, I definitely did. You know, it was, it was an uncomfortable moment. You know, for the first year, driving for the Army for 19 years, you just you think this is going to go on forever. And it was supposed to. It was just an odd deal. Kind of caught up us, caught us all off guard at DSR for sure. Uh, we weren't expecting it, and we were left too late in the year to, to put a deal together. I was 
I was quite surprised something didn't come up, but we were looking for the right partners and the right, uh, the right situation. But yeah, it was, it was terrible, man. You know, I had a, had a start thinking, man, we may never get another race car again. There's a lot of drivers out there. My dad had a big team and, and the focus was on them at the time. And, you know, I was kind of, I felt a little bit left out in the cold. I can imagine, man. I mean, and it's one of those things where uh, the shoemaker's kids uh, have holes in their shoes. Did you ever feel like that? You know, like dad's got this business and he's got to take care of these customers. And I have to be in this situation where I'm willing to kind of table my own career goals and my own personal uh, things that I want to accomplish. Did you feel like that along the way? Well, for sure. You know, Part of the thing and what I said from the beginning is I'm not going to take Leah's job. I'm not going to take Antron's job. It's not what I do. And it would really be BS to do that. Those people earn their spot. They earn the right to be there. And uh, it's just not it's not my personality. So uh, what I didn't like, so, so to speak, was the Army program was so big that when Aaliyah didn't have a sponsor, we had the budget to do it. And when, you know, someone else didn't or Hagen didn't have it, we used we had that budget because it was put in a pot. And then when the army deal went away, that pot, it just, there was no one there to give me something to go race with. Uh, so it's hard to keep your face there when you're not in a car. You know, I try to do my best with Fox and I spent some time on TV, but that wasn't my goal. And, and, and it wasn't what I wanted to enjoy what they do, but you know, Brian Loams and Tony, they got a good, they, they got a good, good cast, good crew. Uh, it's not where I want wanted to be I enjoyed being there watching the races didn't want to be gone from the sport but you know I, I felt like I was out there hanging and, and I was quite surprised and, and it made I mean I talked to Mike Salinas I talked to different drivers and they go man I, Torrance he'd go this is awful that you can't get a deal we're all nervous and you know it took a little time but I think it's stronger now it's great to see where we're at guys like Joe and Kathy Maynard stepping up uh you know they were both army their son's an army helicopter I was an army helicopter pilot uh the, the army car got them hooked on drag racing. So when they had the opportunity to, to bring me back and uh, we just had to go out and find a few races, which we did with Skag, Skag power equipment, it was perfect. It all fell into place. And I knew from the get go, you know, right away they were like, we want to be an owner. We don't just want to be out here sponsoring. And, and I think my dad knew that too. And, and uh, very grateful that it all worked out so well because, you know, my dad could have been like, no, I'm keeping, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, very easily. Right. And, and Joe would have been, you know, on to finding another, uh, deal because he did want to own it so uh, it just worked out great but yeah I was you know I was really gifted in the fact that and I hate to use COVID in any way as a positive but during that during that season I got to go back and fill in for, for with Antron actually you know because he had some sponsors that were saying wait there's less races and he put me in a car and got to go out there and, and look got to, to win a race in Houston uh, which was a phenomenal race because running a guy like Steve Torrance in the final I had to race Steve and Billy Torrance you know, comes down to six ten thousandths of a second in the, at the finish line uh, in front of my wife's father and family. You know, you really can't ask for anything like that. So it's funny, though. I'm, I'm in the car and as we're as we're doing all this stuff, I'm listening to everyone talk and they keep saying, well, it's been two years since he won. And I kept going, hey, I wasn't in a car. We need an asterisk on those stats, man. <laughs> so. yeah, well, that's a fair point, man. And yeah. I think that that's just how foreign of a notion it is, Tony, to be honest, that you're not. I really I thought about this a lot over the, you know, kind of preparing to have you on the show that to think about a world where you're not out here is it, such a foreign notion. It's such an unusual thing. Like, I can't imagine the NBA you know, allowing a situation to exist where like Steph Curry's just, you know, it's we're just going to let him float as a and, free agent for three years. You know, like and to give some context to that, 
that was your 86th career win this past weekend, passing Bob Glidden to sit by yourself in fourth place all time in NHRA history among all classes. And when you're passing Bob Glidden in wins, <laughs> you know, you're doing something. And that's, I mean, that's the caliber of person that we had on the sideline. So yeah, to your point, Wes, I mean, that's the kind of thing that drives us crazy here. It really well, does, man. Did you ever anticipate like way back in the Exide days and, and struggling along and trying to put this to, was it ever on your, like uh, on the list of like, I'm going to be mentioned alongside John Force, Bob Glidden, these legends of the sport. Did that ever cross your mind, Tony? No, it still really doesn't cross my <laughs> mind. It's like, it's mind boggling that we've been fortunate to have such great teams. And, and it wasn't just an Alan Johnson. I won a lot of races with him, but I won with Mike Green. I won with Dan Olson. Really with Zippy, I mean, me and Mike Neff are on a, on a great roll now with, with Tato Gara. So uh, just been blessed with a lot of good people, and it just doesn't seem to end. It, it's great. I want to go back a minute, though. One of the struggles we had, and this is total truth, is we owned eight teams, right? We had a Napa car. So, yeah, we sold battery chargers to all these people, but we couldn't go after an advanced auto. We couldn't go after an auto yeah. zone. We couldn't go after anyone because we had an Apple car. We had a Pennzoil car at the time. We had a, a Mopar car. We had everything, Magco tools. We were just, I was locked. And, you know, you got to step outside the box, which is what I did with Skag Power Equipment. They had never been in drag racing before. You got to, you know, and, and the people out looking at sponsors, you got to get them to a race. It is very difficult. And that's the problem. Like you say, we got to keep, we got to keep everyone's eyes open. They don't consider our sport the same as they consider Formula One. Once they get out here, they say it's by far better than anything they've ever seen, but you got to get them actively to, to the game. How hard do you think that is? Because that's something that I think everybody in our space, we talk about it internally a lot, is that there's a lot of going back to the well. You know, like you think about it, how many cars can, you know, Jag sponsor? How many cars can Lucas sponsor? How many, you know, and you start to see like, man, we, we've got to branch out. We've got to go find some fresh blood because right now it, we're all cannibalizing one another's deals. You know, if, if XYZ racer gets a little bit of bread, he probably took it off ABC racers table. You know and what so I mean? And it's, it's tough. And sold it out too. You know, that's the yeah. problem. It just keeps, you know, I do credit card processing, merchant service, and it's a race to the bottom. How cheap can you go? You just take <laughs> someone's business. I'll just do it a little cheaper. And then someone does it a little cheaper. It's the same thing. I give Leah a lot of credit. She went out and she's really one of the people that work probably the hardest and at uh, finding new sponsors, things that we haven't seen there before. Now you got flavor pack. That's super cool with Brittany. You know, I mean, that's what we need. We need the outside companies to come in and go, this is great because a long time ago, there was just an army car and just a Bernstein Budweiser car and just a, and, and we all just one car and that's what we were known for. But more often now you got guys that, that are flipping and flopping between sponsors, different races and kind of like we did this year, next year, I think will be a little different, but you know, it's a, it's a tough, you got to work it, you know, and, and great example is Skag, right? We, they make lawnmowers, they make the best in the world. But in Vegas, there's no lawns. So it's real hard to say, hey, man, we need some money there. Now, the TV coverage is important and equal everywhere. So uh, right. it's made them step the program up. But, you know, like each each place is kind of located in a different region. So you, you got to work that stuff. And I guess we're very fortunate that we got shows like this that we can go on because the media, this kind of media is very important for us. So the ratings, like the old Nielsen ratings, they're not looked upon as the same thing. Now we get more coverage out of, out of shows like this and situations like we're doing now that than we ever did before. I'm curious, Tony, like about 10 years ago, 
uh, you told me a story about uh, pr presenting a sponsorship to No Fear. And you tell that, and I'm going to ask you to tell it, and I'm going to kind of, you, so you know where I'm headed with this. And you mentioned it about Leah. I personally feel one of the initial faults, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but the initial slogan of the NHRA where the cars are the stars personally, and I know that everybody has varying opinions about it, and the cars are important, don't get me wrong, but I just really feel that set us off kind of on the wrong path almost from the, the get-go that the cars are not the stars, and that's the point you're making right now. Like It's dangerous that you're known... That's re really the reason Drag Illustrated exists is one of the, you know, in 2005, my thought process was everybody knows the army car, but they don't even know what Tony looks like. They don't know what he sounds like. They don't know how he behaves. They don't know how we've got to put faces to the names on the windows. Right. And that's why if you pick up a copy of Drag Illustrated, we put out 177 of them as Monday as of Monday and about 170 of them have had a human face on the cover. Which always, one of the coolest ones ever was Tony oh and Larry face to face. Yeah. Larry Dixon. That may be a, the best one like a pre-fight stare down. That, yeah. that, might, that may still I'm quite be proud of cover. that, actually. Yes. Great quite shot. <laughs> that was a great shot. But um, that is an important thing. And you're kind of can you tell us uh, that story you told me was about you, you, you roll into the boardroom and you've got a an easel with a rendering of a top fuel car with the no fear logo all over it and i think they said something to the effect of like uh tony um love you but we don't sponsor machines we we sponsor athletes right. and, and it, it kind of introduced you to a whole new world can you take us through kind of some of that because that's exactly what you're talking about like i think joe maynard they want to be associated with you it, it, i mean top fuel is important but i think they would support you in whatever you wanted to do yeah, that, that's very true, man. Uh, the no fear deal is, is just funny. It's exactly what happened. I sat there and, and they said, we'll put our name on your helmet. But that car, that car doesn't have any fear. It's a bunch of carbon fiber and metal and Goodyear tires, man. There's nothing that that thing could be scared about. I said, you're scared. And I said, yeah. I said, but I, but I can act like I'm not. Just a little bit of money, you know. And it was the beginning of the time. I drove a jet car back in that day. You know, it was it was, it was one of those things where the athlete's the one that has to sit up in that seat and push through the fear and get it done. And I think that that's very important. Each person you deal with, like the army, we couldn't write the same script and send it to a Budweiser and say, here's our, our proposal. Cause you, you apparently all want the same thing. They definitely don't. What the U S army wanted was to recruit what Skag power equipment wants. And everyone thinks it's to sell mowers, but that's not all true too. They want to always sell mowers, but they want to recruit for people that uh, work on lawnmowers, man, they can't get enough employees. It's the struggle of the world. So for people out there putting sponsors together, remember, it's not just the product. It's about the people, the employees. It's about the thought process on what it takes to make those things, how to maintain those things. If you can't service a lawnmower, you're not going to be able to sell one because people don't want something they can't get fixed. It's, it's an important thing, man. I've been, I've been saying it forever, man, specifically Think about your sponsor. Think about what they would want and write in script in detail how you're going to help them in every aspect, because it's no longer give me four million bucks. I'll go out, look pretty, pretty face and go out on a racetrack. It's how am I going to make this so that you can't afford to not do it? A hundred percent. And that's fantastic insight that I, I don't think we can say it enough. And it's, it's so important to be willing to do the interviews and put yourself out there and do all the media because there's a lot of different ways to serve those relationships. And it's, for me personally, it's exciting to see, like, I know that there's, I can understand that people like the consistency of like you 
like let's just say in a perfect world, you're driving an orange and black Skag car every weekend, and they you, you you kind of and I think when those opportunities present themselves, you have to lean into it. But like speaking of Leah Pruitt. I have no problem seeing her car look different every weekend because she doesn't. You know what I mean? In those relationships, I think it's a big move for our sport for these, not every driver, but for a, a multitude of these drivers to be able to pull that off and represent a, a slew of brands and a slew of different partnerships. That's an important thing. And I, I hope we I hope we see more of it. I'm curious, a couple things, Tony. Um, when you look at the competitive environment right now, um, I think about the people you had to go through. I mean, Brittany Forrest, Justin Ashley, Sean Langdon, well-known great, a, a legend, an outlaw legend, Scott Palmer in the opening round. You, you've seen it all, right? I mean, you've, you've won so many. It's 86 races. It's, it's almost hard to fathom. What do you make of like the competition right now? Like you, You've seen them all the greats you've raced against a majority of them right now, like say the class of 2002, the top fuel class of 2002, is this as good as it's been? Absolutely. It's, it's outstanding. You don't get up anymore and look at second round. You don't get up and look at third round. And there was a time where you just look, you look down the ladder. You had a car that was a 10. <clears throat> Nobody was going to catch it till whether you made a mistake, right. you know, or later in the rounds, you know, when, when everything crept up now, we have no idea what's going to happen. Back in 99, the first championship we won uh, with Dan Olson, I hadn't won a race yet. And we went to Indy, and it was Amato, Bernstein, Herbert, Selzy. You know, I was me, and everyone's like, who's that dude? I, there were 10 people that showed up at Indy before the countdown, 10 people that could leave with the points lead. That was an insane year. But then after that, you know, we started to gain, right? Dixon goes out and has a run. Selzy has a run. We have an epic run. You know, and, and there was it was just we were running, and then everyone was fighting for second. But that 99 year was special. And, that you know, we got our first win there against Scott Collette, actually, in, in Dallas. Wow. And, uh, man, you know, so that was a great year. There hasn't been as many uh, like that until these last couple. And I think we're seeing a really, you know, and it's weird because you always silly season. This crew chief moves, this guy goes over here. Everyone's kind of stayed intact, mostly, right? Alan Johnson went over to Coletta's, uh, but mostly it stayed intact. And the people have found their people. They're running good. The, the races are outstanding. And, and who wins ultimately are the fans that pay 60 bucks to come out and watch. What I, what I love here, and I've heard it, people come up and go, I paid 60 bucks. I feel like I owe more money. That's when you're doing it right. That's when you're doing it. But I've lived some of those moments awesome. that make people want to pay more. I mean, there's there's been a couple final rounds and a couple you know championships decided by by just uh, the last runs. You know, you you guys have watched it. And it's, I want those moments to go down. I want people to put on the wall. Best thing I ever saw at a race was this. And was I, the run your run? That, I mean that that has to be the number one. I mean, to your point about uh, the. Uh, championship one on a final the final pass of the final race of the season needing uh, to set a world record to pull it off but anybody, not go too fast but not go too fast to not set the yeah. run owed the nhra more money that weekend my dad gave the, me the best analogy and i actually wrote about this early on and i kind of stole it from him um but he goes wes can you imagine it's the ninth inning two outs bases are loaded and and mark mcguire has to hit a home run between 425 feet and 400 feet. Not only does it bases loaded, full count. Yeah. And he's got to hit, he can't hit it 430 feet. He's got to hit it 425. But you know, the, the, 
all the stars and moon that had to align to pull that. I still think it's the single greatest moment in the history of I'll drag. I'll never racing. forget Kalita's face when they showed <laughs> him after that. I mean, not you know, yeah. love, that's a tough love one, Doug, and yeah. and everything that they those guys have done. But that was, I mean, that said it all when yeah. when they cut to him and showed it's his heartbreaking. Face. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And that's the type of shit. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's the type of stuff you don't recover from. You know, like it's amazing that Doug has stayed out here. And I honestly hope we get to see him in that leather jacket on Absolutely. that stage with the spark because he deserves it. Yeah. I think Whatever. he's one of the best drivers out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is crazy because those are the t- that's very difficult to recover from. I mean, that's like it's very similar to like the Warriors being up, what, 3-1 in the NBA finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers oh, and losing it, squandering it, yeah. not squandering it. But, you know, it's just crazy yeah. when those mo- when those sports moments happen. Oh, my goodness. It, yeah. It's I sometimes I get frustrated when we spend so much time looking back. But that's a special one. Tony, do you think like right now in this environment that we're in with with Top Fuel and Funny Car and we, we we've obviously seen the ebbs and flows of of. Uh, car count and participation but for what we lack in quantity i truly believe we've made up for in quality uh but what do you see like on the horizon like obviously this deal with joe maynard and and joe and kathy maynard is very fresh and i'm sure there's still multiple pieces that are being figured out and what the future looks like but two kind of a two-fold two-part question a do you feel comfortable like yourself as a driver that this is going to be something that stands the test of time And, and Two, being that you've got a new team owner and you're, you've got some new sponsors, do you feel that there's a good opportunity for other people? I mean, do you think Top Fuel and Funny Car has some room to grow right now? Absolutely. You know, and I think hopefully what we want to do, what I know Joe and Kathy want to do, and, and Joe's son, Joe Jr., uh, the helicopter pilot, it's it's about they sponsor some other cars. And they would like to take some of the alcohol dragster drivers and have the, as they win their you know, whatever their region or maybe a championship to get them a license in our car and just to get the opportunity that they may not have to be able to watch hand pick who you want to be, whether it's my replacement in five or 10 years or a second driver, we don't know where we want to grow to, you know, I, I personally love having one car. I wouldn't mind two, but I never wanted to be an eight car team. It's too much. It's too, it's convoluted. It's just a lot of stuff. I don't know how my dad did it. You know, I remember when he used to wear all them different shirts. Remember that? He <laughs> popped them. Like, I'm looking around for a phone booth. I said it last night. I'm like, hey, how do you do that? I'm sitting in a car. I'm watching him. I liked when he, when he transitioned to the camp shirt with like 44 <laughs> logos on either side. <laughs> that was probably my favorite Don Schumacher look, you know? We had a lot of sponsors, a lot of teams. <laughs> but what my dad did is so exceptional because he built this big old team. And then as they as drivers left and started their own teams, he's – He's created an Antron. He's gave Antron the gift of starting a team and the Lee and the Tony Stewart obviously has all that money and, and can put that together. Epic dude. Great for the sport. Uh, and he knows all the sponsors. So he's going to bring some things in. we're starting to see things trickle in that we never had before. But my dad did that. You know, he started that with allowing those guys to go off and do their own things. You know, we, we had a lot of people under our umbrella and, as they were leaving, you know, I think my dad was a little hurt. He's like, why would they want to? And I said, well, most people want to own their own team. I'm, I'm the only guy I never wanted to own a team. Just didn't want to I find that interesting because yeah. you're right. Like, I think everybody, they say good help is hard to find, right? That's like, a, a, especially in this day and age. But I've found, you know, we've been in business here at DI for what, almost 16 years, Mike? And it's yeah. like, 
one of the an e, an equal challenge is keeping good help because a lot of like I always say there's like three types of people right there's rock stars rock stars in training and worker bees and that's I mean it's okay you need all of them right but the biggest Absolutely. trouble is you get yourself a rock star in training. And you rec you have to recognize that these are enterprising young folk that probably are going to want to do their thing, their own thing someday. And it's tough to kind of like table your emotions and go, this is going to happen. Because I've, if I was Don Schumacher, I'd be a mad mother trucker. I mean, just being honest, you know, but I also understand it. You know, I mean, I get it. I, it's I the totally curse of get having it. the best people. Like Tony yeah. said, they had all the sponsors, all the best team, all the best equipment. And, and when you've got all that, to your point, Wes, about, uh, you know, retaining the best help, they're, they're going to want to flee the nest. It's sort of like uh, empty nest syndrome or whatever. You know, you raise awesome kids and then they go off and, and, uh, and live their own lives. And it's kind of the same situation. And you think about the economy your dad created, right? Have you thought about, like, he created an environment where drivers, and I don't mean to, like, spill the beans or talk out of turn, but, like, just between us three and the however many other thousands of people who watch this <laughs> thing. Um, he created an environment where drivers are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. He created an environment where crew chiefs are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know that everybody understands that. Like, that is... He and John Force Racing, I think by and large, created that environment. And it's, you think about, you know, Alan Johnson going on to do the things that he does and fly into these jets, you're flying to these races on a private jet. And I don't know that people recognize the economy that's been created. And it wouldn't have happened more than likely without the Don Schumachers of the world. Yeah, and the John Forces. You know, it's, yeah. it takes two of them to make prices go up. Remember that. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. So, you know, yeah, we, we watched Mike Neff go back and forth, Guido, you know, like driver, the crew chiefs. And, you know, I don't think too many drivers have bounced back and forth between between them. No. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just we go out there and we have we have a value. And, and what our value has been hurt by is the fact that the cars were the stars for so long. They did that on purpose years ago to make sure drivers didn't get paid too much. I will tell you this. I enjoy getting paid a decent salary to risk my life in those cars. But I don't nor did I ever need to make millions of dollars. I look at the NASCAR guys. I think some of them are jerks. You know, I think you overpay an athlete to do what they love and they talk too much. You know, <laughs> most of yeah. us would do this for free, but don't tell Joe Maynard that. Just <laughs> yeah, no, that no, don't, no, just between <laughs> us. <laughs> just between us. We love what we do. We love being here. It is consuming. It takes 250 days of our life per year. You know, I mean, it's not like we can go get another job and do this. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? So no. we got to get paid something, but, but we do this because we absolutely are in love with these machines. We're in love with the, the fans. We, we absolutely want to be here. And, you know, a Formula One driver, outstanding, making $100 million a year. I, I get why they do a TV show about them, and I get why they don't do it about me. It's hard for me to show my weekend vacations when I don't get to take any. You know, <laughs> those, those guys run a race, they hop on their plane, and they fly to NASA, and they, right. you know what I mean? We, I, we can't do that. We're not paid like that. It's just not, not what it's about. But it also is the reason that the fans can come in the pits and understand us. Because we're not no different. We just got lucky and we get to drive these beautiful race cars. I say lucky. Most of us fought our way into it, but it, none of that matters. Like this is a, a gift of a life. You know, it really is to be able to do what you love, to be able to do it with a group of people that can win on any given Sunday. It's just a special thing. Well, speaking of that group that you're winning with and the continuity that that team has had 
what are you seeing from your team in, over the last uh, race or two, especially this past weekend, uh, as far as how you guys are gelling, coming together, performance is picking up, and what do you see for your team going into the countdown? Well, that's good. I think we'll make it into the countdown. We were 100 points out, or 10 points out with a car that's running a lot better, but we are not running like a Brittany Force. I mean, that car is 60 foot. And I watched uh, Torrance 60 foot at 814 last week or the week before. Just stupid number, 814. You know, like, so we're, we're still not there, but we're heading in the right direction. I will win rounds. I will win races. Uh, and we will collectively get, get this together. What I see, though, is a bunch of 20-year-old kids on my team, young. Most of them had never even held at Wally before Sunday. And it was wow. fantastic. I mean, that's awesome. You know, it, to me, you, you can lead with an iron fist. You can, you can, you know, you need to show up for work or you can lead like I like to lead by staying positive, making people want to show up early. And that's what my guys do. They, they want to be nowhere but around us, racing those cars and working on them endless hours to figure it out. Because none of those guys want to get beat first round. Those guys work so many hours. It hurt me to watch that go on. I, I already get paid. But these guys, man, they work really, really hard and not getting those bonuses, it hurts them, you know. So it was so exciting to watch that car go out and do what it did. Earned a few of those rounds, but really, it's the only reason I drive them like that is because they give me a car that goes straight, that works well. I can pedal it. I can do what I want. I broke one in half in, in Denver. They went, they cut it. <laughs> they cut it in half on Saturday night. They shipped it, drove it to Indy. It was rebuilt, and it was on the racetrack in Sonoma Friday morning. Nobody works harder than our car, our drivers, our teams. Our so, I mean, I can't imagine how rewarding it was to like seal the deal. I mean, what was your like, what did like Joe Maynard and, and the gang say? Like, did you guys like party like rock stars Sunday night? I mean, we would have. I took seen. a red eye home. <laughs> I was so tired. I was so tired. But, you know, it was, it was an incredible, it, the look on all their faces, they were stunned. You know, what to go out as a team owner, a new team owner, and win your first race, I don't know if it's ever been done before. It was, you know, if it, if it has been done, it may be someone like Alan Johnson starting a team or, you know, sells you the first time, but they already had a team, you know, so. Right. It, and, and we didn't make changes, you know, let's face it. I mean, Todd Okahara came in on Sunday. He was sick. Uh, Phil Schuler was helping out. Uh, Mark Denner, our assistant crew chief, those three got together. And that, the car just got a little better, you know, when you shake or smoke the tires, you're only this far off. You're not that far. We're never that far off. So right. when they start to get a handle on it and they go, oh, and they can start really stepping it up here, stepping up there. We're just going to get better and faster right now. And I will guarantee you there's not a, all the drivers that wanted me back for the sport. I guarantee they don't want me to start running good. They're, they're <laughs> happy I'm there. But you're we're probably good. right about we're that. We're good. And when the pressure's high and it has to happen, that's when we seem to be the best. You know, so – I'm not sure why it's very, very lucky. I guess that, you know, cause Colette is an amazing driver. Uh, I could never consider myself a better driver than him. I think we are brutally even in most of everything we do yet. We've had so much more success and it just is unbelievable because I didn't do anything different. I didn't wake up and say one more prayer. I guarantee he prays as hard as I do, you know? So what makes someone go out and get that kind of luck? What makes them, always put something together that, that is successful. I just, uh, I don't know, man. I'm just thankful it's me. People always go, you've won Indy 10 times. I go, yeah, but I never won Atlanta. They go, well, who cares? <laughs> you won Indy 10 times. I, go, I guess that's right. I'll take that swap, you know? So you yeah. find a track you're good at. And, you know, we just, 
we've been lucky. I mean, well, Seattle's one of those. Seattle's a track. I think it's seven times in the final round in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and you guys really? qualified, yeah, qualified the best uh, that you have for the season so far, third uh, qualifying position. What is it about Seattle for you or for your team that seems to bring out the best in you? I, I don't know. And if I, if I had to spend time thinking about it, I'd lose my mind because we've won it five times more than anyone. Me and Antron were at four uh, coming into this race. It's just we have success there. I, I don't know. You know, it's not an easy track to get down. It never right. has been. You know, there used to be a time when the right lane uh, had a crack in it and you had to drive, you had to keep it to the right. Uh, <laughs> I, it was just insane, some of the things. Well, Chicago had that. Joliet, the right lane had a had a gouge that was about seven inches. We showed up there one year and we tested driving around that crack. And we got put in the right lane in the finals and drove around that crack and won it. You know, so I guess it's situational awareness. Knowing yeah. where the problems are, what the situation is, when you have to be on your game and if I could say if there's anything that, that is our strength, it's probably we're very good at having situational awareness where we know when it has to happen. And that's that's veteran experience. And Seattle always comes at the tail end of the Western Swing, the most grueling three-week stretch oh on goodness. the NHRA tour where a lot of things, a lot of wheels fall off a lot of wagons along that way. And I think it takes that veteran experience to show up to that, that last – uh, event of the swing and have success. I think everyone and every uh, part is worn out by then. Yeah, we'll be down. Cars are broke. You know, pieces yeah. are broke. You've done everything. You know, <laughs> and, and it, for us, we had lost first round at two of them. So it's, you don't, you didn't come in with just a plethora of confidence. However, when I did, I, I got up in the morning on Sunday and I said, I don't, I have this weird feeling we're going to win this thing. And I told everybody, and I go, I'm not going to flicker the ball. I'm just going to roll in stage, man. I'm just going to. Drive like I love it because it doesn't really matter what lane you're in. You know, like both lanes, you can win out of both these. So we went out, we did what we do, we won the race. And uh, every now and then I get those thoughts. I really hope I have those thoughts a lot the next yeah. couple of races. A lot. I hope, <laughs> I hope you do too, man. Hey, uh, we, and I appreciate you being so, uh, so gracious with your time. Got, you got yeah, someone's go. at the door. Um, Tony, uh, do you have two more minutes? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I was going to ask, like, just. Right now, I've talked to a handful of drivers that feel like they're, uh, what's the word? People are starting to chase Britney's performance. And it seems like we're seeing some people maybe not get lost, but get out of their usual routine or whatever, chasing those crazy numbers. Are you seeing that too? Well, I'm not trying to chase. We, we can't even try to go after their numbers. What we've got to do is try to win the round and race the racetrack. They're all going to run out of clutch this at some point. All crew, all crews do. Parts are really hard to get right now, and I think the battle is going to become real soon. Is that know? where the is that where the difference is? Like, the, is it in the bell housing? Is it is it clutch? Because it seems like everybody's obviously got a lot of power, but are, are, is that where you think that they're making the where the difference is right now between their program and everyone else's? Well, I think David Grubnick is spectacular. Max Savage, those guys are just as good at the clutch right now as, as anyone out there, you know, and Torrance isn't having that, that much luck, but they got a great, a great program too, man. They're just a little beat down what you'll start to see and what we can do to Britain. The only way to go out and win these things is to beat them down a little bit. You know, you start winning in stupid ways where they start doing mistakes because you're not going to outrun them if they make a good run right now. You know, we haven't run over 316 or 320 miles per hour this year. We need to get back in the mid three thirties. We're a little off, but if we can start knocking them down, and we've done it before, where you start breaking them down, they start making mistakes. That is probably our forte. I will start breaking them down. When we start running good, they'll start doing things wrong. You know, I thought I had them 
I thought I had him go. I may have beat him last week because we've been so slow. He's trying to slow the car down just to slide it down. But you know what I mean? Any way you can win, any way you can do it, you've got to make them make changes they don't want to make. I agree, man. Well, hey, Tony, incredible insight, dude. Thank you so much. It's been, uh, I can't believe this is the first time you've ever been on the show. This seems long overdue. Um, so thank you, seriously. Uh, last thing, and we'll let you go. Lots of technology coming into the sport. You see uh, Tony Stewart Racing's got dedicated track prep people, brought Kurt Johnson on to evaluate the racetracks. Toyota, obviously, pouring a ton of money in with all these R&D and their, their, you know, uh, all their machinery and all these army of people down around the starting line. What's your take on that influx, uh, influx of technology? Is that a good thing? I think it's a great thing. You know, any is always going to come up with rules to, to try to slow us down. It's our job to think one step ahead. You know, this is a drag race. We're going to win and lose by 10 thousandths of a second. You know, every little bit of every piece of that machine makes a difference. So Toyota, they're doing a great job. You know, we're, we're not a Toyota car right now, but, you know, it's really nice to see them out there putting that much money in there. And throughout throughout the generations, it's changed who's putting the technology out. But there's always someone smart. There's always someone, you know, helping out. Like when we designed our canopy, Purdue University jumped up and said, let us work on this thing. And it, it's it's saved lives. It's a, it's a great product. So always new technology. It's what our sport's based on. The whole point of drag racing is a hundred percent, Tony. Well, hey, man, thank you so much again for the insight. It's uh, it, it's been great to have you on here, and I hope that we get to do. Oh, did he freeze up? There I'm losing. Oh, back. there he is. No, he's back. Okay, I just don't, Tony. Move, man. <laughs> just doesn't move. Rock solid, man. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate the time. We look forward to seeing you. Um, I am actually going to come up to Brainerd for a couple of days, so I'll see you in a few weeks. All right. Thank I'll you for it. everything. Congratulations on the success, and I I hope we're talking again soon, buddy. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, buddy. Oh, my goodness, man. I, that's crazy to think about getting to talk to Tony Schumacher on here. Don't you think, Again, Mike, I mean, great, yourself at all? Great, great insight. Tons of talk about sponsors and, and some of the inner workings of some of the uh, super teams that he's been a part of. And you're not going to get that anywhere else. So I'm glad to uh, sort of be able to provide that platform for Tony to talk about that stuff. And he, he even mentioned that while he was talking as well, that shows like this is, is the only platform where you can do that and how important it is that we, we have those conversations. I, I enjoy getting to know these guys a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I don't think, uh, uh, historically there's not been a ton of ways and I got to give some credit to the NHRA because I thought the TV broadcast this past weekend Really strong. I mean, do you? I mean, it just yeah, seems it's, like it's rapidly evolving. They're trying things like the 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 staging deal. You can just see, like, I'm kind of hot. The intros warm on that deal, but I just yeah. love to see the effort to do something different, to add some flavor to it, to add some color. We talked right here on this program about how to add more statistics, more statistics, and more stats more and. Today, Junior, man, yeah, you're you're right, things like that, and I feel like like those, those cinematic intros and things yeah. have to set the stage, especially when you're on big Fox and you've got like an NFL lead in or a NASCAR lead in or following or whatever the case may be that if we're going to do this, we got to, we got to NHRA and drag racing as a whole has got to put its best foot forward for this, you know, wide audience that we're reaching on this broadcast network. And I, they're doing a hell of a job with those. I, uh, I actually I, think I that they've won some kind of awards for those intros. That I think Brian Lones typically does a voiceover. What was it called? It was a, was it a, 
What is the name of it? I forget what it is. I can't it's, remember it's what the name of those awards are. Yeah, it's something significant in the TV industry. Yeah, man. Well, hey, real quick, before we uh, move on to our next guest, I want to remind you guys that each and every episode of The West Buck Show is brought to you by FlowRacing.com. If you're a drag racer or a drag racing fan, you got to get on board with Flow Racing, the world leader in sports live streaming. Flow Racing provides unlimited access to drag racing's biggest events like Donald Long's Lights Out, No Mercy and Sweet 16, Every stop on the PDRA and NMCA tours, Funny Car Chaos, World Cup Finals, Streetcar Super Nationals, and much, much more. I believe this with every ounce of my being. The platform provided by Flow Racing is changing the sport of drag racing for the better, and there's no limit to the good they can do here. So log on to flowracing.com today to join the movement. Mike, um, I guess I'm going to have to save my IHRA uh, hot take for a little later in the show. Yeah. I'm going to make everybody kind of wait. I've got some, I got some uh, opinions to slew around, but I do want. Okay, it's called Josh Hatchet. Just text me. Thank you, Josh. It's called a Telly Award that the IHRA right. won. A Telly Award. They got two silvers and four bronze Tellys. That's six awards for the NHRA broadcast. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know. I'm glad Absolutely. that Josh is watching the show. He can really help me with my my stats, and so I don't oh, yeah. butcher everything. Josh makes us look smart. He does make us look smart. Speaking of looking smart, uh, a verbose, well-spoken young man about to join us. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, a, a massive moment. Massive moment for Troy Coughlin Jr., the entire Jags family. I talked about it to start the show. To see this young man add to the legend that is the Coughlins in drag racing, Really, really special moment. Can't say enough about it. Felt uh, extremely long overdue. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one, the only, Troy Coughlin Jr. What's up, buddy? What's going up, on, Jay? fellas? Thanks I'm moving him to the middle. I'm moving him moving. to the middle. There you go. Right there between go. us. What's up, man? Congratulations. I, I, I have to ask, did you think this was going to potentially elude you forever? I mean, was there ever a moment that you started? Now, be honest with us, Troy. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Like, was there ever a moment you thought, shit, I'm not going to, this isn't going to happen. There were dog days. Yes. There were lots of dog days. And whether you were having a rough day on the simulator or, or having a rough day at, at the races or testing and, and yeah, you know, there, there were days where I thought, man, I, is this going to come or, you know, a day of bad luck or, you know, sheesh, but here we are, you know, due to the hard work at everybody to leave motorsports. And we, uh, those guys, uh, Parked the old jags.com Chevrolet Camaro right in the checkers. It, it was uh, it was a fantastic thing to see. I know it was great. Like I was so excited for Kyle Bates, um, Buddy, uh, Kelly Murphy. Can you talk? That's a tight knit group that have been married to that yellow and black car for a long time. Can you give some insight just to? I mean, their NHRA actually put out a video this morning that was chill inducing um of the you on the top end talking to the team and hugging erica and talking to richard freeman and uh but specifically talking to kyle bates and talking to to kelly murphy can you what's that group like i don't know that i've been around a lot of drag racing but that's a click right there you guys are thick as thieves it's uh it's pretty tight-knit it's uh it's more than a team it's a family it's um it's a unit and it's very exciting and that's what makes it uh fun to win and that's what makes me want to win that's what makes me want to be the very best that i can be and um it's just it's very majestic to win for a group like that it's it's beyond winning for yourself there's more to it than just wanting to turn on four win lights for your own gratification there's more to it than that so yeah it's uh it's extremely impressive and it's an absolute blast for the passion that they have 
and the love that they share for each other and for the game itself and drag racing. And we're just, we're so lucky and blessed to have each other. And, um, you know, I can't wait to go to Topeka. I mean, I'm, I'm counting down the hours. Does that, cause that's what I was going to ask next is like, does that, does this feel, cause it's not like you guys have been a mile off. Like you've had your moments, of course, and a lot of race teams have those moments, but it always felt like you were a tick away from being a real thorn in everyone's side. Do you get the sense amongst the group that this was that breakthrough moment like that? Okay. We broke through the monkeys off our back. Now we can just go win all these sons of guns. Well, I, I think you approach every race the same. I think you, uh, you just, you stay calm, you stay focused, you enter, you enter every race the same. You know, you, you fill out your tech card, you put your pants on, you go race, but uh, you want to win them all. I mean, you, you absolutely want to crush them, and especially our group. You know, they're uh, Team Yellow. They're very passionate. I mean, we, we call Kelly uh, Murphy Pitbull for a reason. He's, uh, he's tough, and uh, we, we need to turn on wind lights to keep, uh, keep our Pitbull a happy Pitbull. We, we want a happy Pitbull. So, yeah, we, we need to get in there and crush them. So we want to keep going. There's uh, there's no honeymoon about it. We, we want to keep cracking them. Well, I'm glad to hear. What do you make of, uh, we talked a little bit with Tony Schumacher just a moment ago about how at various times in the past throughout, and this is, you know, th- this is just the, the reality of the situation throughout the course of, of uh, the history of drag racing, specifically like the modern era, there have been moments where, the fields have been really stacked and there's a lot of great drivers, but there's also been moments where there's like, you would hear the thing like, ah, like Tony was saying, you start looking at who you might have to run in round two or who you might have to run if you make it to the semis or when you make it to the semis. I'm curious, do you see it the same way Schumacher does that? Like, this is as good of competition as maybe has ever existed. Like there may have been moments in the past when there was 40 cars showing up in pro stock. But, I mean, there's 16 to 20 really good can-win-the-race cars right now. Do you sense that? Oh, definitely, especially in pro stock. I mean, there's, I would say, at least 16 to 18 really good pro stock entries right now and, and really good capable cars that are making a lot of really good power. And, and I would say that there's definitely no gimmies in pro stock. You have to be on point every single run, whether you're making the qualifying run or you're in the, the third round of eliminations. You have to be uh, completely focused and, and on your game. What was it like racing Erica? Like of all the people, I look well, having at who, to go. Well, you had I mean, to go having through, to go first, through. Holy and then, crap! And then you got to go through Erica. I mean, you know, two of the two of the greatest to ever do it. And the margin of victory one ten thousandth of a second. It's it's like it was just meant to be. Uh, but especially after you, after the uh, runner up in Phoenix earlier this year, what did that what did that feel like to go through? You know, two of those uh, elite drivers uh, to get your first win. Well, triple oh one, that's uh definitely exciting and it's it's great fate. But um wow, you know, to, to run Erica, your teammate, is uh, just a true testament to how awesome the group is and how uh fantastic of a job that Kyle Bates and Jake Harrison, everybody does in the engine shop, uh between Kendall and, and really everybody there at the shop, all the shops at Elite Motorsports. They're just they do a great job. There's a lot of passion there, so Considering everything that you, you've driven top fuel, you've done all sorts of sportsman racing, you had a stint in pro mod, th- there seemed to be a real joy and passion from you. Is it is pro stock? Does it feel like home for you? I mean, was this always the goal or or, or have you just arrived? Have you just found this to be the home or was this the goal all along? Oh, man, it it is home. It, it yeah. doesn't feel like home. It is home. It's uh it's what I was born around. You know, I, I watched my dad do it. Um, my uncle Jake did it. 
uh, Uncle John and Mike ran the pro stock trucks, which were really fun to watch the small blocks. Um, just grew up around it. You know, that's what you did in the summer times. You know, you rode in the rig to the races when school was out and you just, you followed it. You were, I was a fan for so long at the fences. I mean, ask, ask Woody, he'll tell you all about it. I got kicked off the starting line constantly. <laughs> so I just, I've I'm been there, man. I just, I'm one of those nerd geeks that just loves to, to be there and, and wants to compete. It's just for the love of the game. And you've got four, you got wins in four classes now pro stock, top alcohol dragster, super comp, and super gas. That's probably a pretty short list of people to have a win in all four of those classes. Well, there's a, there's, you know, I've been surrounded by absolutely wonderful people between here at, uh, you know, 131 Jags Place here in Delaware and, and great people at McPhillips Racing. Uh, and just, I'm just very lucky, very blessed to have great people with great equipment and a lot of uh, good times. It's an incredible thing to have watched uh, unfold over the course of time. And you mentioned Woody and like all the, what about the, the Jags? What was the, the homecoming uh, like for you? Uh, I, I take it you're checking in from three Jags place there in Delaware, Ohio. Uh, what was the, was it a hero's welcome when you arrived home in Ohio? A lot of nods, a lot of attaboys, <laughs> a lot of nods. We've been doing this for a long time. You have to realize we've been doing this since 1960. So this is, this is, uh, I mean, there are Wally's everywhere. Oh yeah. We got the full tour last year Uncle Jake's from Woody. Damage they're the everywhere. Department. So between Jake, John, Mike, and dad, they've, they've done some damage in the, in the national event department. I'm going to say 128 or nine national event wins. So they're, uh, I got the nod and the attaboy and, and, uh, <laughs> Which is amazing, you know. It's it's. Great. I would have wanted a banner. I would maybe <laughs> like some fireworks. I think that's not too much to ask. Um, I mean, because that's the thing that I I get fired up about. There are people who have literally burnt up everything they have chasing the pro stock dream, right? I mean, this is a class that chews people up and spits them out. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's an incredible thing, and and I hope that's and I know it's not lost on you because you you're a student of the game. You you appreciate the history. You you recognize how far this deal has come, and to be the seventy first winner. I mean, you think about how many people have gone drag racing and how many people have pursued because pro stock for the most part. Mike and I talk about this with our own fathers. That's like no matter where you end up in drag racing, you probably wanted to be in pro stock. You, you know, like that's the dream is oh, to be mentioned sure. in that, in that group of people. And you're, you're a winner in pro stock drag racing. And I don't know that it gets any harder than that. It's a, uh, it's a big block Chevy with three pedals. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the coolest thing ever. You read about it in certain magazines and it's extremely humbling. It's uh, it'll knock you down just as fast as it'll pick you up. So that's why it's a it's a humbling not only is drag racing a humbling sport, but pro stock is an extremely humbling class, and that's something Uncle Jag is and my dad and, and all of my uncles have gone over and over and over with me is is it's a humbling class and it's not for the weak. You know, you it takes a lot of focus and and you you really have to get into it and dig deep. So what is your focus like headed in? Uh, we're, we're staring down the barrel of the countdown. Um, you hear a lot of people talking about uh, testing early in the season, and none of this stuff really matters until you get into the countdown. Uh, you made a big move in the points. I think you jumped up from, what, 12th to 7th in the points in the last three races. So Just you're one in. one point out of sixth. Yeah, one point out of sixth. What's the, what's the elite motorsports kind of team plan? Are you guys – still experimenting with anything or does this are we getting down to business where now we've got to do what we know to do and put our heads down and keep this going winning nine out of 11 races so far this season you do have to wonder 
Can you maintain that? Can the team maintain that? I know they can. I know the engine guys are always going to be, uh, be making music in the dyno room. So between the music and magic, the dyno room, I, I think that's definitely their goal. But as far as driving goes, I'm just, you know, going to stay focused and, and relaxed and, and do my job and do my best to bang gears, put the clutch out and try and turn on wind lights. Well, we hope you get to, brother. TJ, uh, I'm sorry, I always call you TJ. Troy Coughlin Jr., I don't know what the branding <laughs> is right now. I didn't get a memo. But anyways, TJ, we're so happy for you, man. This, it's, like I said, long overdue. I truly believe you've put in the time. You've, you've done the hard work. And to see you getting to hoist that Wally in the winter circle in Seattle was, uh, I think it was special for a whole lot of people, man. Congratulations. Thank you for your time today. And we look forward to seeing you in the winter circle again soon. Hey. Definitely appreciate the invite, and it's an honor to be on the show. It's a great show. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you real Thanks, soon, you, okay? Sounds great. Man, we, I think we're on a roll today. We feels are, like we're man. on a roll. JT's going to be pissed. We pretty much completely... It, oh, it's because JT's not here. Oh, yeah. That's why... Maybe that's what it is. JT, yeah. JT is lost on vacation somewhere, partying. Do, yeah. We don't know. We hope Golfing, we, drinking, we hope some combination of the two is uh, probably no what's going on, man. Um, but hey, guys, real quick, I do want to remind you all, let me uh, go full screen here, uh, that each and every episode of the West Block Show is brought to you by our friends at Redline Synthetic Oils. Redline has a reputation with racers and hardcore enthusiasts for creating products that perform and protect better than any other on the market and they've been doing it since 1979. Whether it's your race car, your tow rig, your motorcycle, or your lawnmower, when you think about lubricants, you need to think about Redline. For more information, log on to redlineoil.com. Mike, um, we, we got another one, longtime uh, friend of Drag Illustrated in the green room right now. Um, I do want to just thank everybody for being a part of this show. Uh, this is such a treat for Mike and I, uh, for everybody at Drag Illustrated. We truly believe the, the crazy stuff that we say. When I say that we're spreading the gospel of drag racing, I mean it. When I say that drag racing is the great American motorsport, I mean it, and we really can't do any of this without all of you. We, we appreciate the views. We appreciate the comments. These things are like oxygen to us. So thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Whether you're a part of the Drag Illustrated family because you've been subscribing to the magazine since 2005 and you get it every month or you you follow us on social or you listen to the podcast or you, you read our email newsletters or you check the website every morning, thank you because this really is a privilege and an honor because, again, I believe drag racing is the great American motorsport, and I want to put it in front of as many people as possible. And it's not even about getting it in front of more people. It's about making sure the people that do this, that burn up the highways and byways of America, chasing the drag racing dream, buying tech cards, uh, doing all these putting up awnings, breaking their back. I hope they get I want them to get the recognition they deserve. They get to they deserve to be treated like rock stars. They deserve to be treated like superheroes. And by God, we're going to do our best to do exactly that right here on the West Buck Show and Drag Illustrated as a whole. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I've, I've said this a lot lately. I think this is uh, the, the gentleman that's about to join us. I truly believe. Is the best driver in all of the PDRA. I truly believe it. I think for sure, top five. This is a guy that is one of the few people, especially in a time when drag racing has gotten more and more technologically advanced. Mike, we talk about this all the time. I had a great conversation this morning with Scott Palmer that I'm looking forward to, to having again on the air next Wednesday when he joins us. But 
driving these cars, all the technology that has come into play, traction control, automatic shifters, torque convert, all the technology that's come into our sport. It's so cool to see a driver, a human being that can be a difference maker. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one, the only PDRA Extreme Pro Stock star, Tony Gillig. What's up, buddy? How you doing, Wes? Do you like that intro? You're, yeah, you're. Uh, that was great. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean it. Man. I, uh, I, I, I can back him cool up. Cool as a cucumber. Yeah. This dude doesn't get rattled. Um, He's a big fan. It, it's. Uh, I'm a big fan, man. I truly believe in in what you do out here. Uh, but you got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you've you've uh, just named a general manager, uh, the new boss man at Flat Out Gaskets. Um, longtime friend of ours, a mutual friend, Mark Adelizzi. Unfortunately, uh, we lost him, and uh, I think people were a little bit worried what was going to happen with Flat Out. Can you take us through a little bit? Of, I know that wasn't what we were planning on talking about, but I do think it's good for people to know that uh, the business is carrying on. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had spoke to Mark a few times prior to his passing about wanting to get involved here because I was done with the pizza business. I wanted to change, and uh, nothing really happened. And then, unfortunately, Mark passed away. And then I reached out to his brother, who had acquired the company in uh, since as, because of Mark's passing. And uh, we discussed a few things. And I talked to uh, a good friend of mine, Jeff D'Agostino from the fast time days with uh, Chuck Samuels and Nick Scavo and he was interested. So anyway, long story short, Jeff bought the company and he put me in here to uh, help grow the business and do what I can do to make things better over here if possible. Well, I'm actually uh, 100% certain that you can uh, do exactly that. You're also a part of, and congratulations on that, man. I think it's a really big deal and it's, cool. it's hard to believe you're not, not in the pizza business. That's how I know Tony Gillig. Um, but uh, hey, man, I get it. Everybody evolves and and, and things change over time. I'm curious, uh, what do you make of the, the landscape right now with Mountain Motor Pro Stock? This is a group of racers. It's been an interesting thing the last several years, right? I mean, Mountain Motor Pro Stock for the longest time had a what seemed like a permanent home within the IHRA things changed, like we were just talking about. And we saw the ADRL adopt extreme pro stock for a while. Uh, most recently, uh, obviously, uh, providing a home for, for y'all, the PDRA in extreme pro stock as well. But we've seen the mountain motor pro stock association. We saw it bounce around and some different things happening in the last couple of years. There have been a, a slew of mountain motor pro stock exhibition races within the NHRA. And I believe that that's what we're here to talk about a little bit today is that you are part of this group of racers that are trying to make sure there's a quarter mile option for mountain motor pro stock. And you guys got a new sponsor for the rest of the season to run, I think three or four races. Is that right, Tony? Can you take us through the details? There's three left we're, there was four scheduled this year. We had been to Virginia already going to Brainerd, Indian, and Charlotte. Uh, we have a presenting sponsor. Yes. Sweetleaf Stevia has come on board with the association to uh, help us through the end of the season here. And hopefully we have a, gr a great relationship with them and that can proceed into next year, hopefully. Um, but uh, it's exciting to race uh, the quarter mile stuff. Obviously the PDRA has been awesome and we've had a place to park and race and gave us a great race surface. And uh, the people at PDRA are awesome. You know, the, the Franklins and Tyler, um, it reminds me of the old IHRA days, um, but the class is doing really well. The great group of guys that old IHRA guys that still love racing mountain motor pro stock that are doing just that and uh, which have helped keep the class alive and, uh, we had run 632 for a little bit there and uh, thought that this would be a better fit for us since we kind of had started Mountain Motor Pro Stock racing. So we made the jump. And uh, 
so far it's been pretty cool. I, you know, the quarter mile stuff's awesome. A lot of guys that do run mountain motor pro stock, they have, there's a, a divided line. Like some guys just don't want an eight mile race. Um, but that, that being said, prior to NHRA adopting the mountain motor pro stock guys in recent past here, there was no place to race quarter mile with a big motor car. So either way, I mean, I, it doesn't matter to me. I just love racing period. So wherever they give us a place to race, like I said, PDRA has been great to us. And, uh, Thank them for that. And also NHRA giving us a place to a uh, quarter mile race with four races this year so far um, on our schedule. So uh, it's going to be cool. This new sponsor should be neat. And we're looking forward to finishing up the season, uh, hopefully with a win on our part. And But anyway, Mountain Motor Pro Stock wins, period, because it's, uh, it's an awesome opportunity for us to get ourselves in front of the NHRA fans. And uh, it's helped the class as a whole. And it's helped us at PDRA, too. NHRA, obviously, is the cream of the crop. And, uh, but that being said, um, our, our main series being PDRA with eight events there, plus the pro stars we just ran. Um, but we're running all of it, you know, so it's, it, it's cool. We're having a good time. So far. is that the issue? Cause it's one of the things, there's a couple things that I think are interesting to talk about when it comes to Mount Motor Pro Stock. Cause you, you talk about, uh, there's a division, right? There's the group that, you know, the eighth mile guys, the quarter mile guys, but you've also got, you know, the PDRA guys, you've got the NHRA guys. How hard is that to manage? Um, because I know that you're one of the guys that tries to connect the dots, that, that attempts to be the glue guy. There's a slew of you. Pat Norsha comes to mind from Ram Clutches, J.R. Carr. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people involved in this. But I know that that's a real challenge because you're trying to serve everybody's individual needs. Um, because I, I do wonder, there becomes, at times, there can be too many options, right? So, I mean, how do you balance all of this? How do you make it work, Tony? Well, it's, it is difficult because I think some of the guys that race the class, uh, depending on budget, maybe going to the eight races with PDRA, going to four NHRA races, the pro stars, that's 13 events. We're five races short of an NHRA schedule. So it's, it's a lot to take on. So I think some guys just don't have the time to get away. Um, nobody races PDRA Mount Motor Pro Stock for a living. So it's what you can do. Obviously, there's great guys in the class. Like I said, J.R. Carr, Elijah Morton, uh, John Montecalvo, the Placinos. Everyone's committed to go racing. It's just sometimes logistics and or money can get in the way. And uh, it is hard because some guys just want to race NHRA or they don't want to go to the East Coast. They might be Midwest guys. And a lot of our stuff being at, at, in Virginia or Galat or Bud's Creek, that's all East Coast stuff. And if you're coming from where I'm coming from, it's it's 16, 17 hours to get there, and uh, it's a lot of travel, too. So with gas prices now and everything else and the way things are going, we're just trying to keep the class together and try to get our eight-car field filled for the NHRA. And we're close to filling a field in PDRA with 16 cars. We've been short a car or two, maybe three or four tops, but uh, the class is pretty healthy. It's been the best it's been in, in recent past, so it's uh, – I think it's on the right path. It's just a matter of uh, there's new guys coming into the class as we speak. I know guys that uh, have switched over from wanting to, that are running 632. There's two guys that are probably coming to Mount Motor Pro Stock that should be out there next year. So I think next year we'll see a full 16-car field in the 8-mile stuff, which will be awesome. And depending on our NHRA schedule, how that's going to pan out, got to be seen. But uh, we'll be able to fill a field there too, which is, which is huge. And it's a good boost for the class that we can fill the field then we're not short i can't hear you wes 
happen. One of the interesting things that has existed in Mountain Motor Pro Stock is kind of this gentleman's agreement not to let it get completely out of control, right? Not to let people have in-house engine program. Like, hey, let's let's keep this thing reasonable. Can you give us a little insight to that? Because we're, we're starting to see it accelerate again and you start getting all these new fresh faces in here and well-resourced teams and whatnot. It can change overnight. But has that been some of the magic of preserving this class that, you know, John Monacalvo didn't go out and buy a CNC shop on the East coast somewhere and start developing his own cylinder heads and, you know, to, to try to resist that. Do you agree? Yeah. I, right now it's uh, obviously the Mont motor pro stock stuff. Everything that's out there was a derivative of Sonny Leonard or John Cosby because they were the mountain motor pioneers. Sonny was actually, and then Kazi yeah. got involved, obviously. But uh, uh, as far as that goes, I mean, there was a big topic of discussion early this year about wanting people wanting to run a billet cylinder head. And it got everybody up in arms because then it was going to turn into, okay, now the billet heads out there. Now you can bring in everybody that builds cylinder heads. They're going to jump in and it's going to be the trick of the week. We all got spooked. Anyway, long story short, we kind of all decided like that's not going to happen. Um, but as far as the engine programs go, you know, we're with Kazi and there's guys that are at Sonny's and uh, JR stuff's done by Frank Uliata, who's doing a great job. Elijah and Steve Boone have uh, Mikey Allen and his father over there. So there's a good mix. You got Dwayne Rice with Ron Miller. There's a lot of engine builders out there that are running Mountain Motor Pro Stock. And I think since the motors are what they are, as big as they are, and no one's really going crazy spending money on R&D, we're pretty grouped up. Now I have to say that Elijah Morton's been running real well, qualifying on top as JR Carr has. So it looks like they may have a little advantage power-wise. Um, we're still trying to get our act together on our side. You know, we've we've had some success, but running the car up front, we've kind of struggled in places, getting a little aggressive, shaking the tire. But as far as the class goes, there's several options for engine builders. And I think it's it's healthy, you know. I don't think anyone's going to start a program on their own out of the clear blue sky right now. You can go to Mike Allen. Sony will build your motor tomorrow. Kazi probably doesn't want to build any new motors. If you find some stuff that's out there that's for sale, that's sitting in someone's garage for the last 10 years, he would probably, I'm not speaking for him, but maybe right. take him on as a customer and just massage what's there. That's what we did. We found a motor on Racing Junk and uh, took it to Kazi and he just rubbed on it. And so it was a lot easier from him to just do that and start from scratch. But don't you think that's like a magical thing, Tony? Like, because yeah. if you, th my dad and I talk about this all the time, you look at some of these top sportsman programs that are crazy fast cars. Um, and you mentioned Pro 632. Uh, I could be argued one of the un unsung heroes of the PDRA. Man, there's oh, some really fast cars there, um, really strong programs there. Don't you think that's part of the magic of Mountain Motor Pro Stock, that a guy can go buy a, a, a used car, um, a used engine, and then go race heads up on killer tracks with the let, with the words PS on the window? I mean, that's a huge – I mean, you and I come from a similar place, Midwest Pro Stock. I mean, these – guys that were chasing the pro stock dream to think about how attainable it is right now. No one's going to say it's cheap, but it's, it's very attainable. Sure. Absolutely. That's the cool part too. We did the same. We did it. Found yeah. a motor. I bought that GXP and we, cause he looked at the motor just to make sure it was okay. It needed a crank. So we put a crank in it and sent it to the racetrack and we won go out with it. Are we low <laughs> qualifier. No, but we won the race. So it was pretty cool. But I mean, new newcomers out there, uh, Corey and Dylan Voss. Yes. Yeah, Ed Mahachek stuff. 
took it to the racetrack. They're qualifying. They're running good. Um, I know Jordan Enslin's in the process of building a Mountain Motor Pro Stock car right now, sold his 632 car. and uh, But, yeah, it's cool. I mean, you, we had a motor that we – that motor that's in our car was an old Richard Freeman Kazi motor from 2009 that Frank wow. Giuliano worked on with JR Car probably until about 2014. Then it got stuck in the corner. And uh, But, yeah, you can find a motor someplace. And, I mean, that's the thing, too. We've made more and more power over the years with these motors, but no one's out there – knocking the scoreboards over in the eighth mile like everyone thinks we should be based on the power level so we're trying to manage that but yeah it's a pretty cool deal you couldn't go find a 500 inch motor laying around from 1998 and go out and run <laughs> no. and pro stock and qualify you, you're nuts if you did that but that makes the mountain motor stuff cool you know what i mean so i love it still carburetors are on them still they got hood scoops on them they're a blast to drive and uh, i've driven them both and a mountain motor car is uh it's pretty cool and, uh, is it is it crazy when you look at like the landscape right now? Uh, you've been a part of the pro stock mix in one way or another, what since the mid nineties? Yeah, ninety. Yeah, mid, I mean, I think I've met you in ninety seven. I was like a kid. I was like five or something. I don't know. I mean, um, and I remember looking at you like with awe. The red and white cutlass. Is it crazy to think about having been a part of this for so long and seen it through all its different iterations? I mean, when you look at pro stock. You know whether it's NHRA Pro Stock or Mountain Motor Pro Stock and PDRA or in the NHRA, is it crazy to see how far this deal has come? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm fortunate that I've been able to run Pro Stock as long as we have. We raced and we quit and we raced again. So, um, but uh, to see the stuff still thriving uh, and and a lot of the guys that we raced against back in the day are still doing it. Seeing new people come in is cool. You know so. We raced back in the 90s with that Midwest Pro Stock deal that was awesome. That's where we got started and then started the IHRA stuff. That was awesome back then. And just uh, we went NHRA racing back to IHRA again. So it's just our thing. You know, I'm probably nuts that I'm not involved with some fuel injected blown turbo something. And <laughs> I can probably do better for ourselves on whatever level. I'm not sure. But we're just diehard Pro Stock guys that just we're going to do this till it's over. <laughs> and uh, we're having a blast, you know. So the technology for me, I mean, the the MSD grids like technology for me. I got I can move timing around and change my shift light or my shock shift. <laughs> that's as far as I want to take any technology in a race car. So, do you think that's a good thing, though? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like, because I do wonder sometimes. I mean, we hear that a lot. Like, um, that the cars have gotten so good, you know, that it has. I'm not saying it's it's. I think obviously very difficult, but it has changed um do you like that it's still like you said carburetors hood scoops it's old school because it's not it's not not high tech i mean obviously this stuff is yeah. high quality stuff it's the best stuff money can buy but at the same time it's it is a little more rudimentary than the you know like you said twin turbo fuel injected coil on plug it's a different deal and i but i think it's the hardcore race fans seem to really I've seen it at NHRA national events because John DeFlorian and I had this conversation in Houston a couple of years ago. I mean, there was fans over there looking at this stuff. They get it. This is stuff they still understand and it's stuff that they relate to. Right. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I yeah, the cars are a, a mountain motor car and a 500 inch car are on the same playing field as far as everything but the fuel injection system, the internal parts of the engine. There's crazy stuff going on in there. Liberty transmission or Lanco or the clutches, depending on what size they are, it doesn't matter. They all do the same thing. So shock technology, all that stuff is really cool. The only thing that we're missing is the ability to tune fuel on a laptop 
we can do timing with the grid. So there isn't a huge big difference between the two, just on the on the uh, on the fuel side of it. But then again, you know, like the carburetor, whoever invented that thing back in the day was a genius. It does it, it pulls fuel when it needs it. When the air's better, it's, it's better. It's just when you get them right, they're good. So I mean, it's just we're just stuck in I guess maybe the past, but it's also the future for us too. You can be competitive with a with a carburetor pro stock today, where NHRA went to fuel injection and there's fuel injected motor cars as well. So I think it's uh the technologies is there. It's a lot different than when I first started racing pro stock. We first started racing pro stock, we had you know one of everything and we just tune the clutch in the wheelie bar and the leave rpm and you went fast now the trans is out we're messing with the clutch we're moving the four link you're messing with carburetors you're messing with timing it's just a it's a different deal you know but back then it was like i said i wouldn't say it was easy but it was a lot easier now when i first started 500 inch racing we had one transmission a 266 low gear g-force <laughs> with a 486 rear in the car a set of carburetors on it and if i went from bristol to seattle I didn't change the transmission because I didn't have one. It was clutch, leave RPM, and that was it. And it worked. How did it work? Because now you go someplace, what's the air? Where are we going? What trans are we going to put in the thing? What are we doing with this? It's just, but again, it's uh, it's exciting and it's a challenge. Even though it's just a carburetor pro stock car, it challenges us every run we make. And every time the clutch comes out, we learn something new. I think it's an awesome thing because you, you make a great point. I mean, like you look at an NHRA pro stock team, they're changing transmission ratios every run, you know, and it's, you think of, you hearken back to those days or where it's like, Hey, we're running what we've got. Like, Oh, it'd be great to put more low gear in it or whatever, but we ain't got anything in the trailer. So it is a a crazy, but it's fun to hear. I mean, whenever you were running, racing with my dad a little bit, it was just to see the, the effort in the pits, like, that's a cool thing to see, right? I mean, I, I have to say, I know that there's positives to the big automatic transmission movement because I do think, I mean, I remember Scotty Cannon being quoted as like, that's one less guy I've got to bring to the track, you know, because I used to have to pay for a clutch guy or someone to help, you right. know, and there, I understand there's positives to it. And if we overnight switched everything back to manual transmission and clutches, we'd probably lose a gazillion cars, right? Yeah. Because it's hard to do. But man, there is a real reward that comes to being successful at something that's extremely difficult, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that stuff's got a place. I mean, all the like PDA, sure. Pro Boost, Pro Nexus cars—they're—I mean—they're impressive. Those things oh. are unbelievable, and uh, but they're cool in their own right. And then we follow behind them with the clutch pedal and a stick shift and a set of carburetors that runs four O's in the eighth at almost 180 miles an hour. So everything has its place. And they're all quite appreciate all that stuff. Those guys do with a nitrous car or a blown car that runs 360s is unbelievable. I can't even imagine what those things feel like. I mean, I just driving what I drive is uh, it's fast. Older I get, I mean, it's fast. So it's it's when I made my first quarter mile run at Virginia for the NHRA race this uh, summer, early this summer. I have been to the quarter mile since like 2006. <laughs> I stuck that thing in high gear and it charged for the finish line. I, the shoots out i was i got out of the car laughing i'm like this it was so cool i was like i can't believe how this thing runs the back half of the racetrack i'm like this is the coolest thing in the whole world super cool but it's cool to hear it oh dude and to do it routinely right i mean it's it's uh it's hard to wrap your head around i've said that to the pdra contingent uh tyler cross no we we have very quickly become desensitized to how insane these cars are. I mean, the fact that all these side-by-side 4.0 finals and pro stock are 361 to a 361, 
this we aren't completely appreciating how absolutely bonkers this shit yeah. has become. Um, and it's funny to hear someone as uh, well versed in all this as you are, Tony, say something like that, like got out of the car laughing. Is it cool that after all these years, you're still having an experience like that? I mean, because I just that that's awesome to hear. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was concerned. You know, I had been on an <laughs> NHRA racetrack and forever. And now you hear, OK, well, the tracks aren't prepped as good as the, our PDRA stuff. And OK, how's this going to go? We kind of laid up with the car a little bit early and it, we suffered a little bit, but it went 630 at 224 on that run. The next day we were on a, about a 25 run and then we had an ignition miss that we encountered at half track. So I shut it off. But but that thing just charged into the finish line. I, I think about it now. It's just we got that in-car camera that we thrown in the car in the steering column for it. it was just that thing was in high gear and it was wasn't in high gear long and the shoots were out and it was just a it was cool so yeah to be able to keep doing this at, at my age and and still enjoy it i mean that's the thing too you got you got to respect these things but i still love driving the car and i love the acceleration and i love the speed so until i ever got to the point where i'm like you know what this is too fast i probably should stop i haven't gotten there yet but uh yeah it's uh it's a pretty cool deal. I'm, I'm excited to keep driving this thing. And I'm looking forward to the rest of our PDRA season. We're doing well over there and then running some of the quarter mile stuff, which is uh, I have been the Brainerd since 2000. So the place is cool. different, man. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys up there. Last thing, Tony, and we'll cut you loose. Just could you give us your thoughts on the PDRA Pro Stars event? It was really cool to see the effort that went into trying to make that event special. I mean, the live bands, all the exhibition vehicles, the pageantry, having you guys up on stage and the trophies. And uh, is that uh, do you like seeing those like kind of special independent events popping up on the schedule? Yeah, I think I mean. Didn't know what to expect. It was our first pro stars. So, but I have to say the entire staff of PDRA, Tyler, everybody that is involved, they knocked it out of the park. Um, it was a super cool deal. We all had a great time. Um, just the, how they handled everything, how they put it all together, the way it was just the, with again, going on stage and, and picking who's going to run who. And it was just a, it was a cool deal. The pressure was off. There was no points implication. Winner take all, which is, you know, we're all for that, you know, and it's just, uh, it was, they did a great job and I look forward to doing that again next year. If they're going to have the pro stars again, got to thank summit for, uh, putting that together with the PDRA. They were a big part of that. And they're a big part of our program with the PDRA in general as the sponsor. So it's, uh, it was soup. It was just, it was really cool. I had, we had, well, it was a great time had by all, we got a little bit of rain on Friday, couldn't test, but, uh, in, in all in one day they got it all done and it, a lot happened that day it was pretty neat oh i mean the play there was a good crowd you know and like just seeing the footage start to you know trickle out onto the internet of all the golf carts pulled up to the stage and all the people i'm like man this is this is a great this is where our sports got to go i mean we've been talking about this this whole time that you've yeah. seen it through many iterations but this is the people expect a lot in 2022. They expect to be entertained from start to finish. You, you can't expect people to sit and stare at a track or whatever with nothing on it. So doing all these extra things, I think that's kind of the model for success when it comes to putting on one of these events as we head into the future. It, it's exciting to see the PDRA. Uh, I, I was glad to see them have, have win, right? You know what I mean? Like God knows yeah, those guys have tried extremely hard and to see them have it go their way it, it felt good yeah it was i mean they needed that i mean the the day was perfect the weather was great and and we've been plagued with rain all season and there's been races where i'm like i see tyler i'm like 
this poor kid <laughs> is li- he's working on three hours of sleep and he's out there drying the track. And then, it, I mean, our race at Virginia prior to the Pro Stars was was brutal. I mean, we were complaining because we got wet. We're under the tower getting soaked, all of us that can fit under the tower. We were, I was two cars back when it rained three times. It was like an omen. Every time I was two cars back, I put my helmet on, the sky opened up. I'm like, I put my helmet on. Didn't matter. It still opened up and we got poured on. But uh, And to watch those guys have to just keep struggling oh and dry goodness. the racetrack. And that place is long. So to dry that racetrack and make that race happen. And then we thankfully won the event. But, uh, yeah, my hat's off to those guys, Tyler, Tommy, and Judy, their kids. Everybody that's involved with that whole program is just they're, – they're top-notch and they give us a great place to race. And it's like family. We're all – a lot of the guys that run PDA, right, we're all businessmen or we're – you know, like I said, no one's doing it for a living right. and everybody gets it. And it's a pretty cool deal. I love racing over there. They're great people. All the right reasons. You know what I mean? I think that's a group yeah. that's doing it for all the right reasons. Tony, thank True. you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you in Brainerd. Um, congrats. I think this is a great news. Sweet Leaf Stevia. Uh, shout out to those guys. I th- I've been saying this a little bit lately and I maybe need to see it, say it more. We've got to support these companies that are supporting us. It's an exciting thing to see new new brands show up in motorsports. So it feels like a victory all the way around. Tony, we'll yeah. see you at the next one, brother. Congratulations. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, buddy. Take care, man. All right, guys, I want to remind you real quick that each and every episode of the West Buck Show is brought to you by way of the gang at Stroud Safety. Stroud Safety is known for their top quality safety products, racing safety products from drag chutes and seatbelts to fire suits, gloves and blankets, all 100% made in America. Log on to StroudSafety.com and make sure you tell them we sent you. I'm actually, uh, Mike, uh, did I tell you that I'm going to Bonneville? I'm going to the Salt Flats this weekend. You did, yeah. Did I tell you that? I'm going to go yeah. out there with my this buddy weekend? Tommy Cunningham. Yeah, man. Oh, okay. uh, leaving on Sunday. Well, I'm leaving on Sunday. Um, going to go spend a couple of days out uh, on the during Speed Week, the Bonneville Salt Flats with my buddy Probably Tommy something Cunningham. something worth doing. If you're, a, if you're an automotive guy. Something I think worth so. doing one time. It's like a pilgrimage you have to make. I, I've never done it. I've always thought about, I've always said I wanted to go, but it never really lined up or whatever. You, we start getting into August and September. It's hard to believe that it's already like the summer is yeah. winding down. It's, it's starting to get busy. It's going to get busy through the end of August, September, and October. Those are the, it's crazy. Those are, those are the uh, racing months. It's, if you think about all the stuff that's going on, like we've got, Salt Flats this weekend, then Brainerd the next weekend, uh, and then, well, maybe in between that, we've got MPK and Tulsa, and then the U.S. Nationals are upon us. I don't know how... Labor Day is already almost here. Really crazy to think about that. We're going to do, uh, we've got to announce this. I don't know that we have, um, but we've got to announce that we're going to do an, the episode of our show the week of, I believe it's August 31st. We're going to be live from yep. John Forrest Racing. We've been invited. Uh, peak. Uh, the t- gang at John Force Racing have invited us to come out and do uh, an episode of the show from John Force Racing in Brownsburg, Indiana. So we're super excited about that. I think yeah, Thursday night, get, you're ready for this? This is a big one, Mike. You're okay. going to be really I'm, jealous. I'm worried because I don't know about it. No, you don't know about it. Um, I've got invited to come sign autographs. You, you, you like that? They want me to come oh. sign autographs at Cruz Pedragon's open house oh, Thursday night. So cool. I'll be at uh, Cruz Pedragon's shop there in Brownsburg, Indiana, um, Nitro Alley. Really, really cool area. And Cruz's shop is super nice. So they're going to do a uh, an open house, I think, I'm from like I'll, starting I'll at 7 o'clock. There. You, you want to come? I'll swing by there, bring a hero card or something. Get I'm going to get some hero cards made. I know. <laughs> Father, um, business owner, right? <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't have any like cool stuff to put on there. And oh, yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, my whole idea for doing the world's longest burnout, um, freaking farm truck and Asian beat me to it. Super <sighs> bent about this deal. Jeez, man. I, thought, I told I you it was a great idea. Guys. I know. We I told you those guys. For those that don't know, I literally bought an old, uh, an 88, I think, 89 uh, hatchback Mustang uh, with a 302 in it and a five-speed and a line lock. And I was hell-bent on doing the world's longest burnout because I thought there wasn't a Guinness World Record for it. I reached out to the New York office of the Guinness World Records, and I, I put together a plan to attempt to do the world's longest burnout. I went out. I did an 867-foot burnout in my uh, my $5,000 Ford Mustang that I thought was important because I didn't want to do it in like a purpose-built race car. I thought the better message would be to show the world and the car culture in general, young folks, that you don't have to have a twin-turbo Lamborghini or a twin-turbo Corvette or a pro-charged Mustang to be a car guy and do something cool. You could literally save up your pennies mowing yards Go buy a $5,000 Mustang and find yourself in the Guinness World Records. Um, unfortunately, I didn't, the Guinness World Records, despite there not being an established record, I send them the footage of the 867 foot burnout. Pretty proud of this, right? This is a long burnout, right? And it's uh, especially a stick car um, that makes no makes eighty horsepower, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I put like ninety pounds of air in the tires, um, like, and just all but destroyed the thing. Hung the rods out of it, trying to do this nine hundred foot burnout. That was my target. Um, I send it to the Guinness World Records, and they want me to go fifteen hundred feet. And I go, where's like, where's the reference? Like, where, where did you just pull that number out of clear blue uh, or out of the, the sky? And they did. They literally got on the internet, Googled around a little bit and said, yeah, 1500 feet seems like the number. So yeah, longer than a quarter mile drag. I told them that I said, dude, that's longer than we drag race. Like, right. That's a long way. Um, so anyways, uh, lots of stuff happened. I moved to Texas. There's been all this crap, you know, COVID global pandemic kind of derailed me. Um, I ended up selling the car back to the guy that I bought it from because his son wanted it. James Sisk, shout out, longtime drag illustrator, photographer. Um, James' son wanted the car back. Um, I do believe it's got a rod knocking now. Yeah. My bad. Um, it might be in a, a little bit worse condition when they got it, it back. It looks great because <laughs> I lowered it. I put all the factory uh, trim back on it, the factory badges. I put uh, the Mustang, I uh, put some Flow, Flowmaster exhaust system with the tailpipes on it because I can't, I can't do Mustangs without tailpipes. I just, they have to have the factory style exhaust on them. Um, like I said, lowered it, put a set of good looking wheels on it. I mean, it, it looks a lot, put a massive cowl hood on it because you know, America. And, uh, anyways, I sold it back, but now I get on the internet the other day, a couple weeks ago, farm truck and Asian with some blown Cadillac do a 1500 foot burnout. So I don't know Man. if it's like challenge accepted and now we've got to build a burnout car. I don't know. I haven't decided exactly how I want to respond to it, but um, what a, I think that would have been an awesome thing, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if they did they get wind of that. Like, how did they know about the fifteen hundred feet thing? You know, I don't know. I think they reached out to the Guinness World Records people. You know what? They'll come to your house. It's interesting. So there's three kind of programs with Guinness World Records for anybody out there that wants to set one. Um, there's three ways to do it. First is go set your record photo document it, video document it. Uh, there's some steps involved. You have to provide evidence, right? Then you can submit that evidence to the Guinness World Records and it takes a while, right? You can do an expedited 
um, evidence review. And I think it's like a thousand bucks, 900 bucks. You kind of get to the front of the line and they expedite the evidence review process and you get your, if you deserve it, if you have achieved a world record, you, it kind of happens faster. Or there's an even higher level where you can just send them a check for 10 grand and they will come to you wherever you're at and they will send judges that will review the evidence live and present you with your world record if, if you pull it off. So I was going to go for the expedited deal. Um, but uh, again, you know, I, I did. Fascinating, so, man. I don't it think, is kind uh, of an interesting thing, right? I never knew there was so much to the deal. But yeah, man. It, it's kind of interesting to see their business model about how they make money by you know, well, and it's facilitating a huge, records or whatever you want it, to call it. For me, it's like a, it, I saw it as a PR opportunity. I thought, you know, if we can snag the world's longest burnout, even if Cletus or somebody comes right along and scoops it away from us, um, it would be cool to have it for a moment, have the plaque on the wall, say that you did it. Um, but massive PR opportunity. I mean, right. I mean, and I'm actually surprised that it hasn't been a bigger deal that farm truck and eight, like, I'm surprised you didn't know they did that, you know? And it's, uh, I think they made some t-shirts. I think they need to pour the coals to it because I don't know. It's a big happening. How many a Guinness world record, right? I think it's a big deal. JT might try to go for the, uh, most beers consumed in one day. Record. He's probably we already got the record. Get that expedited, get the proof out there. I'm sure you could save all the cans oh, and he's good at documenting. He's he'll video oh. anything and everything. Cameras running 24 seven with, with JT. Yeah, it's uh, kind of an incredible thing what JT does. He's, uh, I think the rest of us are just jealous. Is that possible? We are. Yeah. Yeah. We're just saying it's, yeah. Anyways, guys. Um, all right. Here we go. Oh, the Dragon Drive in the comments. Um, let's do a little QA. Like we got 13 minutes of QA and I'll give my IHRA hot take. How about that? And we'll go back and forth on this a little bit. Um, huge news broke, uh, I guess, really yesterday, earlier this week. It's been circulating for a hot minute. The people, a uh, multitude of people in the industry knew this was going on. For those that don't know, you can log on to dragillustrated.com right now and read um, a, a little bit about it. And there's, I believe, more information will be coming in the, in, the, in the days and weeks to follow this announcement. But the IHRA, by all indications, has been sold to chassis builder, track owner, a longtime member of the drag racing and, and high-performance uh, industry, Larry Jeffers out of the St. Louis, Missouri area. Uh, again, this has been big news, man. This we got a tremendous amount of traffic to the website yesterday. I was like stunned. By yeah, it and because a lot of the comments here in the chat. As soon as we started up the show, were what what's going on with the IHRA? So, so yeah, for those that news. don't know, basically the IRG who uh, had has owned the the International Hot Rod Association for quite a while now, uh, basically sent out a letter earlier this week to their track operators, um, announcing that. Larry Jeffers had agreed in principle, I believe, to uh, purchase the IHRA and that they supported this transition. There was a couple of interesting notes in there. They talked about how there were some uh, IHRA employees, former IHRA employees and former uh, associates of the group that were perhaps executives. Yeah, defecting or going to try to start their own thing. But by all accounts, Larry Jeffers is the new owner of the International Hot Rod Association, man. And I just... I'm anxious to see where this goes because for a couple of reasons. A, people have a really romantic uh, relationship with the IHRA. I think the IHRA did a really good job for so long of really fostering a great relationship with their sportsman racer base. I mean, if you talk to anybody, you talk to track operators, a lot of the things that I would hear, like why would you go with IHRA sanction over NHRA? There's a lot of similarities, a lot of overlaps. Almost all of them would point to 
the Summit Super Series uh, and this strong sportsman program, the team finals, the, the everything that they did for sportsman racers, strong contingency program. Uh, people have a really, really, really romantic, like I said, uh, relationship with the IHRA. They did a great job building that grassroots following and then completely squandered all of that all of those things that we just outlined over well, the course it, it, of like well, the last happened decade. over time. Yeah. And, and the whole romantic, uh, notion of IHRA that's, that was huge here in the Southeast. I mean, IHRA is born in, in Tennessee here in the Southeast. And to me, IHRA was door car heaven in, in its heyday. And if you were a mountain motor pro stock guy or a pro mod guy, that was the place to race. And from sea to shining like you, sea. Like yeah, I remember combination like conversation with Danny Rowe, West coast guy, Southern California yeah. guy. Um, he, he spoke of IHRA pro mod with such reverence. I mean, that's where Shannon Jenkins was and Scotty cannon was and Mitch Stott. I mean, that was the place to be, like you said, for door slammer racing. And it was so weird to just see it erode so quickly Right. And it was it was interesting. Well, it changed hands. The, the IHRA changed hands seven times, seven times. And this is going to be the seventh purchase of the IHRA. And I think th every time it was something a little different. And when it, when it was in certain hands, like Bill Bader's the door cars and all that stuff were the focus. Then it changed a little bit when Clear Channel and uh, and Feld. Uh, whatever Feld, Yeah, came in. And but that happened over time. And I think it was a little bit outside forces as well. I think that ADRL coming along, I think the growth of Outlaw 8th Mile Pro Mod Racing really sort of accelerated IHRA's demise, at least from my perspective, which is, you know, obviously heavy, heavily biased towards the Pro Mod perspective. But I think that the outside threat of those types of, of organizations, I think at a certain point, IHRA kind of just said, well, if that's what you guys want to go race, go for it. We're, we're kind of tired of keeping up with the rules. We're tired. The quarter mile, uh, all the things that were sort of happening in that, you know, early 2000s time frame, uh, I think led to the demise. And, and I also think that it's so interesting to think about how we talked about uh, Mount Motor Pro Stock kind of being in a in a time capsule or something or kind of frozen to where you can go get some stuff from the late nineties, early two thousands and be competitive and nowhere else does that exist in drag racing. And I, that stuff, all those like Tony saying he hadn't ran quarter mile since 2006. I'm pretty sure I was there at that race, watching him run that red Mustang, I believe um, at the time. And I can remember that like it was, it was yesterday, but that's kind of the same. You can go pro probably find that car, the, the engine, the transmission out of it and go and go run it today, but they're running it on eighth mile for the most part. And I think that it's, it's what has sort of allowed that class to separate itself. It's, I actually talked about this with Brett Kepner where all, every other class is sort of based on continually improving and evolving performance, but Mount Motor Pro Stock is almost based on keeping everything the same and not improving that performance because we've been, we've been talking about the, those guys knocking down the three second barrier for a decade and quite literally. It, yeah. And, and to see where they still are. Um, I think in one way, if you're, if you're hell bent on that evolution, that it's great, but that's, what's kept that class alive. And I think that what they're doing with this uh, NHRA uh, mountain motor deal and what they're doing with PDRA and, and the series that that were running before that is 
trying to get back those glory days of I Trey Mountain. But that's the reason, and I want to say this um, because that's the point that I'm preparing to make is that I kept using the word romantic because that's something that I see kind of permeate all of racing, drag racing, is where we are. We have such, we, we are able to wax nostalgic so quickly and we look through, look back at drag racing through these rose-colored glasses and we get drunk on trying to recreate it. And I do, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the same things that I'm hearing and that I'm seeing in the comments that the, the new regime at IHRA, Larry Jeffers and company, um, are going to really focus on sportsman racing. That's from what I understand, it's going to be sportsman, sportsman, sportsman. Uh, I've not been able to confirm this, uh, but I don't believe there's going to be an effort to put back together a pro show necessarily. Which We've I think seen- is what everyone's excited was excited about when they heard this Larry Jeffers news, especially his connection to pro. But don't you think that, that it, oh, it's problematic go. in some ways to constantly as a sport be chasing these ghosts, right? I mean, I, I feel like there have been multitude of, uh, of sanctions and series like chasing the ADRL, what it used to be. Everybody wants to see, uh, the ADRL kind of chasing itself, chasing the ADRL the chasing its itself, chasing the ghost of itself. And I think that we, we have to, we have to recognize those things were special for a reason, right? They were special because they were special. It was a moment in time. There was a synergy amongst the people, and there was there was just so many things working in their favor. And I do think as a sport, we get real hung up on trying to recreate the past instead of trying to pursue whatever is next. Let's create the next big special thing. Let's create the next magic moment in the sport of drag racing. I mean, we're seeing a magic moment right now with no prep Kings street outlaws. No prep Kings is producing is presenting to the sport of drag racing, a a magical moment. We will look, and this isn't me forecasting or whatever, or saying that it's on, uh, that it has a limited shelf life or a a limited lifespan, but every product has a life cycle, right? And you, you are tasked with reinventing yourself. The next iteration, the next, what are you going to do next? And I do think that at times we are so hung up on, man, I just want to bring back the IHRA of old. Well, hey, man, it feels like right now there's a lot of options for sportsman racers. I mean, you can race for crazy amounts of money multiple times a there's year. There's a lot of options for almost every, every racer. level and of drag we, racing. That we had that conversation with Tony Gillig a little bit is that – is it is it helpful or does it hurt that there are guys that want to go eighth mile pro or a Mount Motor Pro stock in PDRA? There are guys that want to go quarter mile with an NHRA exhibition series. There are some that wish they could go back to the IHRA heydays. And it kind of splits everything up. It's sort of like the uh, uh, diminishing returns where my, my it question great is to just have like, so many classes or so many places to race, but it splits the fields. And then you end up with, with short fields. USP, unique selling proposition, right? That's a, a buzzword in marketing and sales. Like what's your USP? What's your unique sales proposition? And I wonder, like, what is the IHRA's unique? What will be their USP? Because that's a question that's like worth answering, right? What are they going to do that's going to be different? What are they going to do that's going to set them apart? Because to say we're going to focus on sportsman racing is great, but like how so? How are you going to change the experience? I'm anxious to see and hear what that vision is, and I think it's going to be important they outline it because the, the biggest issue is that we've seen 
all these new plans. I mean, we talked about the glory days of the IHRA, but let's go back to like 2016 when there was a small group of us in the media and uh, connected sponsors that were on a call with the IHRA uh, where they were outlining their plan to introduce Dragster One. Their, oh, yeah. their version of Formula One racing. They were going to create, they were going to field a farm system. They were going to have this whole thing and fly around the world racing top fuel. And it was going to be called Dragster One. And you're hearing this and you're going, holy crap, like we can't even get Mountain Motor Pro Stock cars to go to Canada. And we're going to take top fuel cars around the world on ships and planes and stuff. So I really think that there's going to be, then we saw them introduce, you know, pro nostalgia, funny car or whatever it was. And it was going to be a professional version of nostalgia, funny car racing. Um, th th we've seen so many different iterations of the IHRA over the course of the last, you know, several years that I'm anxious to see what, what the vision is. And I, I want to hear those conversations. I struggle with that right now that I wonder, like, what's the NHRA's vision for the future? Right. What are they trying to accomplish? What's next for them? What do they see on the horizon? And I think the IHRA could probably get a lot of buy in real early if they make the plan known, if they make the vision known, because it's it's important for people to know or understand what the vision is. Right. Like it can be a lot of different ways. And I think folks will deal with some growing pains and will deal with some. Uh, some uh, whatever whatever you call it, early kinks and bugs that have to be worked out over the course of time. If they know where we're headed, where are we headed? And is yeah, it? They've definitely got to set themselves apart because, like you said, you got to give people a reason to break from what they're currently doing and make plans for next year. So that's that does have to come out uh, relatively soon, and it'll be interesting to see wh which way they go with it. I think you always like to say guilty by association. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, appeal and prestige of running an NHRA race is, and we talked about this is like you, you won super gas, but you're, you know, you're lumped in with John force who won nitro funny car. And I know sportsman racers, you know, sort of keep the blinders on and don't really pay attention to pros and, and vice versa. But to me, a, a, an organization, a sanctioned body and IHRA in particular, you have to have that variety. You have to have, the entertainment factor, the pro factor, the uh, uh, jet cars, wheel standers, stuff like that. And IHRA kind of had this outlaw mentality. I feel like, especially a lot around here in the Southeast, it's man, NHRA is too Southern California corporate. It was like anti-conformist. IHRA is like the good old boys. Yeah. And we're going to go, you know, door slammer racing and we're going to run at different tracks. We're going to do things a little bit differently. And I think all those things sort of, uh, came together in, in, you know, through the eighties, seventies, eighties and nineties, um, and, and two thousands and made something special. So we'll, we'll, I don't think that that'll work again. I don't think you can just, like you said, go back and chase that ghost, but what will be the differentiating factor of the new IHRA? I'm anxious to see, man. I mean, it's, I, I think there's opportunity. I really do, but I do think it requires a vision for the future, you know, because there are a lot of great options right now. I look at, you know, the great American million, like a lot of these, uh, the great American bracket race group, uh, SFG, right. Luke Bogacki puts on great races. Um, there, there's a gazillion places for sportsman racers to go race for big money. Um, a lot of these tracks have great programs around the country, uh, the NHRA national and divisional scene. And you're right about them. I believe strongly that one of the biggest, I mean, look no further than those mountain motor pro stock guys that we were just talking about. Don't think for a second. Yeah. They want to run quarter mile. Yeah, of course. That's, that's fantastic. 
but wrap your head around the fact that most of them are going to spend a bunch of money to go do this race more than likely for a trophy, but they want to be guilty by association. They want to be in the staging lanes with John force. They want to be parked next. They want to be in line to park behind the Napa hauler, right? They, they want, want to take that picture, post it on social. That, I'm part of this prestige. group. Yeah. It's the same reason people show up at no prep Kings races and run big tire or run the small tire shootout. They want to be guilty by association. They want to tell their friends that they were at the exclusive party, right? The neighborhood cookout that Ryan Martin was at, that murder Nova was at. And I think the IHRA will be tasked with sorting that out. What can they do to make, we lose sight of the fact that most, not most, all of these drag races are social events. For the most part, and the NHRA has done a remarkable job of creating 22 can't miss social happenings. You don't want to be there when you don't want to miss it when so and so wins or Joe Blow barrel rolls his golf cart or whatever, or miss the big party or Scott Palmer's got a nitro margarita mixer out. I mean, you, you think those things don't matter, but man, they do. Those are the those are the because you're going to race where your friends are going. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like you need the tide to shift. And if if one person goes and says, I'm going to IHRA and then another one and then another one and then the guy looks around all of his buddies and that have, becomes now, the party, they're going there and you've got to kind of get that initial buy in. And it, it just it's a process. And I'm anxious to see how it plays out, man. I mean, and that's um, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. We get but no, I, do, I, I, I hope I'm wishing the best for them. Oh, a I million percent. We, we talk about it all the time. Drag racing was its best when IHRA was pushing NHRA to keep up or improve their show so they could stay as the worldwide leader in drag racing. Uh, and when IHRA went away, I think you could see a, a, a noticeable difference in how NHRA operated. And they kind of just only gotten back to that level. I agree. And Bobby Bennett from competitionplus.com, he, he is, he has been quoted multiple times as saying that like the NHRA is never better than when the IHRA is great. Like there has to be competition. There has to be another option. I think it's important. I really do. And it's, there are great options that exist in drag racing right now, but there's no arguing that the NHRA is the major leagues and there has to be, there needs to be a clear number two. You know, there needs to be somebody that at least challenges them, gives some guys some opportunities, but it doesn't sound like that's where the IHRA wants to go. They really want, I think, to um, cement themselves as a sportsman-friendly sanction and series. And I'm anxious to see how they do it. And I do. I wish them well. I think drag racing needs the IHRA. It's a... I saw some posts on social. Get, like, what's the IHRA questions. even worth? Yeah. Dude, well, I mean, the IHRA brand, it's not worth nothing. That's for sure. We get questions all the time. Whatever happened to IHRA? Yeah. You know, a lot of people sort of... Maybe they were involved in the sport, then they come back in and haven't paid attention in a while where they just happens to them like man what happened they what happened to drag review what happened to the awesome magazine they had what happened to ihra what happened to this what happened to that and and it's it's something that again i think that most people of our generation and older remember those glory days and would like to see it get back to that i agree and i, I think there's going to be opportunities for us i thought you know i wonder if they intend to do like drag review magazine um because if yeah. not like man we need to make all those members uh subscribers to di you know what i mean like there's some <laughs> There's some opportunities to work together there. And that's, I mean, that membership, 
is significant. People are extremely proud of their membership to the IHRA. I think that that, it almost to me smacked of an NRA membership, National Rifle Association, right? People were very proud of that IHRA affiliation. And I'm just glad to see um, somebody pick it up that I believe cares about it and and recognizes the history and appreciates all of that, but hopefully has a vision for the future. Um, Mike, we're getting some comments here like, Let's do a little Q&A. We got a couple of minutes here. Do you want to talk at all? Uh, if you guys have anything you want us to touch on, uh, cool trucking, anybody else in uh, the chat here, go ahead and throw them out. But uh, what, what do you make? We're going to talk to Scott Palmer next Wednesday. Set your, uh, set your count, mark your calendars, guys. Um, we're going to talk to Scott Palmer next Wednesday about his No Prep Kings debut in Top Fuel. He's going to show up along with um, Greg Carrillo and do a Top Fuel match race. I believe they're going to run once on Friday night and once on Saturday night. Um, I think there's like 20 grand up for grabs, but I'm just curious, what's your take on Top Fuel No Prep racing? Does this? I've got an opinion on it, but I'm, I'm curious what's yours. Is this something that you're excited about? Or? Yeah, I think we talked about this whenever we first heard rumors of this potentially yeah. happening, and I think... My opinion, I think at that time and, and still is, is that if, if this is a one-off deal or if this is something that only happens, you know, at, at a few races or a few MPK races throughout the year, I think it, it's something that could add to the show. But the last thing you'd want is for this to become a, a regular deal where now all of a sudden, like you said, Ryan Martin, Lizzie Musi, Guy Kelly, now they're not the fastest cars on the property. I think that that that's the only... Uh, downside to it but i'm happy for scott i'm happy scott's like making his name as a guy that will go do this kind of stuff for big money or for a one-off event like the stampede of speed deal last year yeah and i think maybe that's what this is more than anything um but it's gonna be interesting to see you know how they even perform on a no prep surface i i, know, I wonder what nhra thinks about it because i don't think anybody benefits from this deal more than the NHRA. Yeah, I mean, I really true. don't. I mean, we talk all the time. From what I've been able to piece together, there's no, there's not even like communication between the No Prep Kings group and the NHRA group. I find it very interesting because I truly believe that it could be problematic. Personally, I wouldn't have anything on the property that would upstage Ryan Martin, Lizzie Musi, Murder Nova. I just wouldn't. If we're being honest, I'm not, I'm not sold on it. I get it and I understand it. And I, I certainly understand it for Scott Palmer because I think Scott Palmer is doing this for Scott Palmer. Mm -hmm. Scott Palmer recognizes that this is an opportunity for him to get in front of a huge audience, introduce himself to a new audience. I mean, Scott's got all the hardcores, right? I mean, he's got all the, he's got a legion of following, uh, a legions of followers in the hardcore drag racing group, but he's about to introduce himself to a, a bunch of fresh-faced race fans, fans that are television, reality TV fans, not necessarily drag racing fans. So I think it's a big opportunity for Scott, and I don't fault him at all, but it it is interesting, right? Because I just don't know. I mean, if I'm MPK, if I'm Sam Corcus in that group, I'm going, man, I'm not letting anybody have any of our shine. I mean, MPK is perhaps the strongest, hottest thing in town right now when it comes to drag racing. I don't think they need it it'll be interesting to have Scott on the show and ask him these questions and, and, or ask him what's, you know, behind the scenes, what is the end goal? Why, why is this happening? You know, what's the sort of give us some of the dirt on that. I think without having Sam on the show directly to ask, it him, tells me Scott that there's another the show option. on the horizon. There is another event on the horizon because I see a comment here. Street outlaws, MPK spoilers is saying if Pilgrim wasn't getting something out of it, Sam Corcus wouldn't allow it to happen. 
I have to agree. I, I, for me, reading the tea leaves, there has to be something on the horizon. There has to be something that involves this particular type of racing um, on the horizon. Otherwise, I don't see the, I don't see, he's clearly, they don't need any help selling tickets. They don't need any help packing out racetracks. They, they don't need more. So you have to wonder, there's got to, this has to be some sort of test. This has to be some sort of uh, uh, testing the water uh, for what could come in the future. And maybe it's a reality show just following Scott Palmer around. Hell, I'd watch it. Yeah. You know, I I'd think DVR that that'd be that. a worthwhile thing. I, I'd do DVR it and binge watch it. <laughs> I mean, I think that maybe that's what it is. Because I see Scott Palmer kind of being branded as this out, this evil Knievel. That's one of Scott's heroes is evil Knievel. And I, I kind of seeing see him developing into that. He'll drive a nitro pro mod. He'll drive a top fuel car. He'll drive it on prep tracks. He'll drive it on no prep tracks. He'll drive a pro mod. I mean, he told me this morning that he took the torque converter out of his car and put a clutch back in his pro mod just because that's, it's more fun. That's the way that he wants to do it. He wants to rev it up and we need more drop the bomb Scott on bombers, it, man. You know, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's creating this character and in, in develop, not creating, developing the character in the superstar that Scott Palmer, I believe, is and can be. Right. So maybe that's what it is because I hope that's what it is. That I hope that's awesome. what it is. That would be the best thing for Scott and the sport. Because, but I, I, I am curious about it because I wonder what the fans will think. I think the, the argument, and I talked to Andy Carter a little bit about this yesterday, that a top fuel car is just so dramatically different than a door slammer, but still, man, I mean, I remember back in the glory days of the ADRL, there was a moment where Kenny Nolling and company had considered like booking in fuel alters or booking in some nitro funny cars or some top fuel cars to kind of complement the show. But how are you going to market Jason Scruggs as the baddest dude to ever walk in the best in the world? You know, like if there's someone in there right in front of you with a faster car, you know, that's doing crazier shit. I mean, got 10 foot header flames, flames hanging out of this thing. Mm -hmm. I do think it's an interesting thing and nobody stands to benefit from it more than NHRA. Like if I'm them, I'm sending at least, you know, a bottle of champagne or a thank you card or something because I can't help but believe there will be fans in Tulsa, Oklahoma on August 12th that are exposed to top fuel nitro drag racing for the first time and will immediately look for an opportunity to do, do you it think again. that that's that really holds true that like there's not a lot of crossover between um MPK and NHRA fans one million percent I saw most, yeah mostly um, laser my, focused my, on NPK my uh, when I went to the NHRA national event, the Stampede of Speed last October um, at the, the legendary Texas Motorplex, the house that Billy Meyer built, um, I was there. How long were you we there? I think I was there for like six like out week. of seven days. I was there constantly and I saw tremendous crowds, spectacular. And I'm here to tell you, you know, people get real wrapped up in posting that MPK is getting way bigger crowds than NHRA. They're not. Like whoever, whatever your buddy's saying is bullshit. Like the biggest crowds that exist in drag racing are within the NHRA. Like just, it just is what it is. However, um, whenever I was at the NHRA Stampede of Speed, the NHRA Fall Nationals in Dallas, um, I was there like every day and you see it's a different demographic. It's a different age group. Um, there's certainly young folk there. There's certainly kids there. Um, but it's, you see a lot of real deal dyed in the wool drag racing fans, right? You see people with NHRA tattoos, you see people with, you know, nitro helmets on and all this stuff, right? 
I was there the next week for the Street Outlaws uh, second to last race of the season. No prep kings rolled into Texas Motorplex. And I was like genuinely stunned by the difference in the crowds. I mean, there was a big crowd at MPK, but it was young folks. It was husband, wives, two kids. Um, it was uh, lines of people that were there to see one guy. They were there to see their favorite dude from the show. Um, they wanted to get his autograph. They wanted to get a picture with him. They wanted to buy a shirt. It's a, it's a decidedly different group of people. And I know there's crossover for sure, but I don't think I would say a lot of those folks haven't been to a drag race before. Don't know what comp eliminator is, right? Don't know what super stock. Yeah, they're is. not, they're not necessarily drag racing fans first no. or even car guys or, or gals first. They're murder nova fans yeah man you of, go through the, the pits person. and you see you see toyota prius or not yeah. the pits the parking lot you go through the parking lot and you see a lot of like four-door sedans you see um toyota priuses you see you know just bone stock but you go to like the you walk through the parking lot of an nhra race you're gonna see like five-o mustangs that got front runners on them skinnies and slicks right parked in the parking lot you're gonna see lifted up trucks you're gonna see harleys with pipes and custom paint jobs car people, right? People that are genuine enthusiasts that have a passion for the automotive world away from the racetrack. I'm not saying there's not some of that, but it's a lot of just casual fans that watch this on TV and want to come out. So I genuinely think someone's going to be in the stands at Osage Casino, Tulsa Raceway Park in Oklahoma. They're going to see a pair of top fuel cars go down they're probably going to see a pedal fest. They're going to see these things hanging flames out of them on and off like a light switch. They're going to see the fumes. And man, you put two big show top fuel cars at Tulsa. That's a vibe, brother. I mean, it's a movie. I mean, the <laughs> Maybe fumes with the lights hanging. Off. No one yeah. Scott Palmer turned no the one, lights yeah. off. No one Palmer. He'll turn the lights off or, I don't know, run into a spike pit or something. <laughs> um, there's no telling what those guys might do. But I'm telling you. They will sell tickets to their other Nitro races there. They will, the NHRA will, the Midwestern NHRA tracks will benefit from that. I really, really, really think that's uh, true. And, it, and I do. I find it interesting, man. You want, to, you want to answer another question? Sure. We'll talk, you're talking about Midwest tracks. Let's talk about a West Coast track. Dar Hawthorne asks, is 2023 the last year for the Pomona Winter Nationals? Where and I think I we, I don't think that we've, really heard much about that but i think his question is coming from the fact that gainesville is now the season opener and then they go to pomona and phoenix but phoenix is coming off the schedule after 2023 so will pomona hanging way out there on the west coast where's that going to fit on the schedule i personally think it, it probably is i i think it's the beginning of the end of that race at yeah. least I, I just i think there's a bunch of and i don't this isn't like a, a negative thing about nhra it's just that you're going to the well quite a bit um to bring fans out mid-november and then bring them right back out mid-february or whatever how they've historically done it um i think there's a lot of and options teams, in southern california yeah there's a lot travel. of options in southern california for entertainment there's a ton of stuff going on I think it's really difficult to cut through there. And then you talk about all just the, the expense, like you said, of heading out West, um, the expense of everything in Southern California. I, I think it's on its, uh, not on its, I, I think it's, the end is near. I, I really do. I think that they will continue to run the finals there for as long as is feasible. I mean, you can't help but go to Pomona and see like cars driving by and like, you know, street lights and all this stuff. I'm like, man, urban sprawl is on top of this thing. I don't know. It's, we got, uh, we have Vegas usually and then Pomona, right? So yeah. that, I feel like you've got to group these 
locations together. And if you've just got one race hanging out there, you know, on the far left coast, that's going to be a tough, a tough deal for a lot of these teams, especially when you're starting the season in Gainesville. I think we're about to see a bunch of, a bunch of significant changes like on the NHRA schedule. I mean, if you look at, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought we would see the NHRA season start in Gainesville, but it almost felt like, I mean, they always call it the East Coast opener. I mean, it, it felt like it feels almost necessary. It was a, I was genuinely excited about it because it was one of the first real racer centric moves I've seen the NHRA make in a minute. Um, I think that this was them having their ears open, uh, listening to the racers, listening to the concerns of these team owners and the people that make this all happen. And I think they did the right thing. But then you start to think about Atlanta's gone, Phoenix is going away. Um, there's talk about Denver, Houston. uh, the Houston's gone. Uh, I mean, you, there's about to be some significant holes on that NHRA schedule and you go, Hmm, uh, what's this going to look like in the future? So, no, I think Dar Hawthorne's asking, he's great with questions. Um, it's a significant one, man. And for those people that kind of grew up, you know, in the heyday of drag racing in Southern California, that's going to be a huge change. I mean, I can't imagine there not being the Winter Nationals in yeah. Pomona, but I definitely we could, think it's a We could us. be gaining a track, though. A uh, lot of talk around Route 66 and Joliet uh, coming back on. I don't know if you saw our buddy Brian Lones kind of made a cryptic I thought so post. Too. Um, sort of referencing, uh, could we see this back on the schedule in 2023? Hmm. And I mean, if anybody knows it's or it's has Brian. the inside track, it's Brian. So very that's a crazy one that. to not have a track, like to not have a track like that on the tour is beyond me. And I see that area as very racer centric. Like I, like that's a, there's a lot of fans there. Door slammer racing is strong there. I mean, I think about some of the events they've had at Byron and Cordova and, I mean, holy moly, man. I mean, you're talking about some holy grail moments, I mean, that have happened at those two tracks. Why Chicago, you know, Route 66 race, we can't be a part of that conversation is beyond me. So there's certainly opportunities, but yeah, it's a wild time right now. I just think all arrows are pointing towards less national events. I think that's going to be a tough pill for the NHRA to swallow, but man, I don't, I, I struggle to get excited about the return trips. You know what I mean? Like I, part of me thinks if you're going to Vegas and there's four lanes there, you need to run all four of them. If you're going to Z max and there's four lanes there, you need to run all four of them. Like I, I, I just wonder if, but I mean, I'm sure that's a tough conversation to have with Speedway Motorsports. Like, hey, man, I know you <laughs> yeah, built this your, your zillion dollar. Yeah. You're, you're the largest track owner and we don't want to come here as often. Uh, but man, we just have to. I really think that there's something, there's a lesson to be learned or there's something to take from the fact like the, the biggest, most telling thing, in my opinion, that has gone on with as far as NHRA tracks are concerned is Houston Raceway Park not having a national event, but acknowledging that they're going to stay open. Like if the, that's a very telling and concerning situation. It tells me that the business model doesn't make sense. Something's got to change because if a group, if Houston Raceway Park, five million some odd people or whatever that live in Houston, I can't imagine. That's a huge market. Well, that's not the only time we've really heard. We've heard that, you know, through the grapevine from all the, from other. If that place stays open for the foreseeable future and doesn't have an NHRA national event, I mean that that surprises me. That is shocking to me, to be honest. That the NHRA. 
But it tells me that, man, something's got to change, you know, and I don't know what that is, if it's the way these things are split, if it's the contract price. I mean, it's a cool yeah. truck inside Firebird Raceway. Hey, like a month ago, that's what I said. Yeah, that's a perfect uh, geographic location that NHRA doesn't hit currently. Great family, great track operators, great track. I just don't know how big it is as far as parking and seating. Yeah, I uh, it. it... Colton Jordan with a great comment here. I want so badly to see Tulsa Raceway Park get a national event. I love the small track, but big show feel. I agree, man. I think about when I know the the racers. I think Tulsa is on the radar for sure. Um, But the NHRA looks good. Uh, It's great to go to these huge, huge venues with tons of parking and great bathrooms and shower, everything else. But man, drag racing looks pretty damn good at New England Dragway. You know what I mean? Like it just looks (laughs) good packing that place out it's sometimes Scott Palmer and I talked about this this morning at times, this is another issue that exists in drag racing at times is this ongoing kind of identity crisis. Dude, we're a bunch of badasses and outlaws. We're a little rough around the edges. We're not formula one. We're not NASCAR. And sometimes I think we need to lean in to our identity instead of be constantly trying to reinvent ourselves as something else, like trying to be more like NASCAR, man, let's, let's go into these places and shut them down. Let's roll into a track that we can pack. Let's go to communities that can't wait for us. Gainesville is kind of like the best of both worlds. You go down there, the locals know about this race. Their whole year's built around it. They're going. They don't care That's how much it rains, deal, you know, and they're going to, and it's a very, very, very nice facility. So it's so like the got best the most of both seating of yeah. any NHRA national event track. And you know, that place on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and you're up there in the tower and you look across those grandstands and there, there's not an empty space to be seen. It It's unreal. That Gainesville is my favorite race on the circuit for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Oh, it's, it's badass. That place is special. And I'll tell you guys, um, brace yourselves for some industry shaping news, uh, in the coming days. Uh, there's going to be some big races, uh, one, especially big one coming up here that, uh, you're going to want to know about guys. Um, let's, uh, let's run through our sponsors real quick. I just want to thank everybody one more time. Huge shout out to the gang at elite HP, all of our friends at Stroud safety, Redline synthetic oils, flow racing, of course, huge shout out to our guest today. Uh, Tony Schumacher, crazy to have him on here. TJ Coughlin scored his first pro stock win this past weekend. Congratulations to him. Tony Gillig, one of the best to ever do it. And as far as I'm concerned, natural driver, great to hear about his plans for the rest of the season. Mike, you got anything else, buddy? Man, that's it. I think we covered, we covered a ton of ground today. Dude, we did cover a ton of ground. Um, r- real quick reminder, though, we can't do any of this stuff without all of you guys. So thank you so much for tuning in, clicking like, k- clicking share, clicking subscribe. Thank you for being a part of uh, the movement. That is uh, everything that we've got going on here at Drag Illustrated. Stay tuned. Like I said, we got some big news that's coming in the in the next, in the following days and weeks that we're very excited about. Um, yeah, man, that's uh, all those improvements at Bradenton. That's pretty interesting, huh? It's badass. I think it's badass. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on The West Buck Show. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Coda.